And now for something completely different. This is the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Let's do it. Welcome to the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. With you till 3 on this Tuesday with plenty to get to over the next few hours. Coming up, we break down Game 5 of the NBA Finals. Why this series is already over and how we got here. The big star of last night and the big piece missing for Jason Tatum. Plus, the power rank. Best quarterbacks in the NFC. Where would Baker Mayfield slot in? Five things that need to be done or figured out before the start of the NFL season. Also, which team could potentially end Clemson's home winning streak this year? We'll get to our Tuesday top 10 later on. Which teams, or I should say, which people will be the most impactful on college football this year and their national champion? And we'll also do a little taste test. It's time to find our new healthy alternative cola. And we'll do it just over an hour from now. We'll try out what is being called the new Coca-Cola. All that and a whole lot more throughout the afternoon. Wait until 3 on this Tuesday. You can join the conversation throughout 843-721-9500 to give us a call. You can always text the show. 843-608-1734. Get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays, on Facebook at ESPN Charleston, via email, studio at kirkmanbroadcasting.com, or online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Head over there and click on our show page where you can leave a comment for the show. You can find the latest versions of the show podcasted right there, or you can even take the Morrow Midday show with you wherever you go by simply streaming us online at charlestonsportsradio.com. With you till 3, Trent's on the steel wheels. Trent, what's going on? How are you? Luke, I'm doing great on this Taste Test Tuesday. Right. I'm, a little, I'm a little nervy, a little excited for this uh, Taste Test. We're doing it about an hour from now, but what a great Game 5 last night uh, in San Francisco. Absolutely phenomenal. Been catching up on my shows as well. It's a beautiful Tuesday here on the Morrow Midday Show. Luke, I'm glad to be with you, kind sir. Likewise. Have you finished Peaky Blinders already? I'm on last episode. Wow. Last episode. We're getting there, Luke, and, and I'll get into it later, but you need you need to tune in pal i think it's time we turn the clock and you uh you get on on the train with the peaky blinders all right we'll see i mean soon the nba is going to be done with this (laughs) week i'm going to have a lot more uh free tv time maybe peaky blinders will fill that void let me start with this well last night's nba finals game five this series is over even if the warriors lose game six they're not going to lose game seven at home they're not losing the next two and it was put away last night by of all people Andrew Wiggins, who played fantastically. And he was the big star. And he's been great these last couple of games in this NBA Finals. And he's done a little bit of everything, right? If Steph Curry was not as good as he is, 
If Wiggins played this well for the entirety of the series, we could be having a, a pretty good debate right now about the true MVP of the NBA Finals. He plays good defense. He's done a great job on the boards the last couple of games. And then, of course, the scoring and the impactful scoring. He was great in the first quarter to set the tone. And then when it seemed like the Celtics may be creeping back in in the fourth quarter, they cut it to seven, about seven minutes ago. It was Wiggins that came down and got back-to-back baskets. Wiggins was the best player on the floor last night in a big win for the Warriors, right? Game five, the big swing game. And it was Wiggins that led the way. Alan Hahn was on Get Up this morning talking about how Wiggins has done this, right? Used to be viewed as a bust as the first overall pick. Now, a bit of a star in the NBA Finals on the biggest stage with the Warriors. Here is Alan Hahn this morning. Well, it's a maturity in his game now because him, him understanding that it's not just about how many points you get and your shots and all those things, but and, and yeah. actually, he had to adjust even more this year when Clay came back and then Steph was playing <coughs> full-time yes. because he had been used to being more of a focal point, especially that first year when everybody was hurt. And now the harder part is understanding how you could still impact the game and affect the game without being the primary and even the secondary a lot of times. He's had to adjust his game, and that's coaching, that's buy-in. And buy-in happens when you're in a place where you trust what's going on around you, when you've seen the impact that that kind of coaching and development has had on other players, and you say to yourself, I want to be part of this. And that's exactly what he's done. And he has emerged throughout this playoffs to this point now. So this is almost like the, the, the pinnacle uh, of really where, where he has or where they have seen him go. So now... Can they finish the job? Can he raise a trophy? Can he be a big part of a championship team? He goes from a guy that some people thought might have been a number one pick who is a bit spoiled and overpaid to a guy that is a champion. He's one game away. Yeah, and in large part because of his own performance. Last night led the Warriors in minutes, in points, in rebounds. He was the best guy on the floor. Made some huge buckets. I think what Alan Hahn is saying right, is accurate. I also think part of it was almost like a misplaced asset where he's better in this role with Golden State or better on this team. In football, I talk so much about fits, especially with quarterbacks. It's all about the fit. You have to go to a a good organization that knows what they're doing, have enough talent around you. Otherwise, your career may never be the same. And to use a football comparison, Wiggins is like one of those guys you see oftentimes teams will overspend to believe they could be a number one wide receiver. The Jets did it last year with Corey Davis. He was a pretty good two in Tennessee. The Jets gave him all sorts of money and said he could come be our star. And he didn't have a great year. And Zach Wilson still needs that star. The Jaguars are trying it with their entire wide receiving core. They paid a bunch of twos and threes as if they're number ones to try to give uh, Trevor Lawrence some help. And when you count on guys like that, there's a big difference between being that star receiver that commands a double team and still is very productive or the other guy who, well, because that guy's being double teamed, they can now step up and play well. Or they're a good slot receiver, but they can't play out wide and so on and so forth. Some guys are number one wide receivers. Some guys are number two. Some guys can do both. Andrew Wiggins was asked to be a number one in Minnesota, and it wasn't great. In Golden State, he could be a number two, even at times a number three, on a very good team, and he has really played really well. He's looked like that part of that number one pick all those years ago. I also think the Warriors deserve a lot of credit, of course, for their development. They did the same thing with Draymond. With Clay, with Steph Curry, now Wiggins joining them. They did it back with even like a Livingston and a Bar- anybody. Right? You plug them into Golden State, and whether it's the system, it's the culture, it's the talent around them, everybody seems to get better when they go to the Warriors. Right? The Warriors, their expression has always been, back when they were winning multiple championships, they would always say strength in numbers. 
and they would wear the T-shirts that said strength in numbers. And you'd have like Zaza Pachulia wearing a strength in numbers, right? Because it was uh, everybody chipping in and doing their part. And we saw that last night, that when Steph Curry was, quite frankly, awful, Wiggins stepped up, and Klay Thompson played uh, well. And even Jordan Poole had some big threes in the second half. And other guys did their part. Like years ago, when, yes, they had a Kevin Durant, and they had a Draymond, and they had Clay and Steph Curry all in their prime and healthy, but you always got contributions from Barnes and from a Livingston and from a Petrullia and obviously an Andre Iguodala, other guys filling those roles. Now, earlier this postseason, we thought Jordan Poole was kind of like the Kevin Durant. Poole hasn't been as good in the finals, but Wiggins has. Wiggins is kind of playing the role of a Kevin Durant in this NBA Finals, specifically these last two games, and that's what has made Golden State so tough to beat. And I didn't think the Warriors could win a game like that last night. I actually thought that Golden State had the smaller margin of error in uh, this series between these two teams. Because I thought Golden State, if you don't get a good game from Curry, I didn't think they could win. And last night, they won when Steph Curry was horrendous. Did not make a three-pointer for the first time in four years. Right, if you told me going in, Steph Curry is going to go 0 for 9 from beyond the arc and make less than a third of his shots, and one of these teams is going to win by 10, who do you think it would be? I would tell you, yeah, probably the Celtics. I would bet that the Celtics would be a 10-point winner if Steph Curry doesn't make a three-pointer and shoots 30% from the floor last night. And if you also told me, without providing any other context, right, Tatum scores 27, Marcus Smart scores 20, I'd say, yeah, that sounds like a Celtics win. They lost by 10 in the biggest game of the year. It's impressive that the Warriors could win without Steph Curry and without their threes. If you take away Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole last night, the rest of the team went 1 for 23 from beyond the arc. They went through a stretch there where they missed 14 straight, and they still won. We like to think of the Warriors that they're just a three-point shooting team. No, not necessarily. When the Celtics went small last night, Golden State was able to get to the rim. And it was like a football team. You know, like, uh, let's look right here in our backyard. The Citadel, obviously, they're an option football team. They run the football. But it'd be like if the Citadel went into your building. Well, this was in Golden State. So let's say you came here to play the Citadel, and they beat you by throwing it 30 times. It's like, whoa, we didn't see that coming. We didn't think they had that in them. That was like Golden State last night. Clay Thompson shot it well from beyond the arc. Poole had a couple of threes, including that, that buzzer beater at the end of the third. The rest of the team was one for 23. They still won by double digits in the finals. And again, it'd be like the Citadel running for two yards per carry, but they threw it for 300 yards on you. Like, wow, I didn't think they could do that. I didn't think the Warriors could win a game like that last night when Curry was so bad and they weren't shooting it well. And Steph Curry seemed a little rattled. I know Alan Hahn this morning was saying because he had a split fingernail, maybe that was the difference. Something seemed off with Steph last night. There was a series, there a sequence in the, I think it was late in the third quarter, where... You could see as soon as he released a three-pointer, he went running after his rebound. He knew the shot was off. It seemed like his confidence was shot. How often do you see Curry release a three, and he does his little shimmy on the way back down on defense before the ball even gets to the rim, when it feels good coming out of his hand? Just like you on the golf course, right? It feels good as soon as you make contact with the ball, you're feeling good out there, or you play any sport. If you play pickup basketball, some days it just feels good coming out of your hand, you're confident. Baseball, you're at the plate, you're seeing the ball well. Curry usually, right, it feels good coming out of his hand. Last night, not so much. He was chasing after his own misses. He would do that classic chuck it up and go darting after it right away. And then on the very next possession, he got caught in midair, had to do a jump pass, right, changed his mind when he went rising up for a three. And then the next time down, he got his three blocked. Something was off of Curry last night. Looked rattled, looked kind of out of it, but it was okay because Wiggins was able to step up and carry the load. And here's what I find interesting about the Warriors in a moment like this. 
You have Curry, Clay Thompson, Gary Payton, Andrew Wiggins, all second-generation NBA players. Their fathers all played in the league. You have Steve Kerr, the head coach, played in the league, now coaching. And I look back at some of the great athletes. Kobe Bryant, of course, second generation. In football, who's the best quarterback in the NFL right now? Patrick Mahomes. His father was a professional athlete. Who's the best coach in the NFL? Bill Belichick. His father was a coach. Who was maybe the smartest quarterback of all time? Peyton Manning. His father was a quarterback. Andrew Luck, very cerebral, number one pick out of Stanford, was supposed to be the next Peyton before injuries. His father played in the NFL. Major League Baseball, who's the home run leader? Barry Bonds. His father played in the league. Ken Griffey Jr. Nowadays, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was the runner-up for MVP last year at 22. His father was a Hall of Famer. Fernando Tatis, big star. His father played in the league. Cody Bellinger, Rookie of the Year, and then MVP two years later, second youngest MVP in 40 years. His father won a few World Series in the league. Richard Petty has won more Daytona 500s than anybody. Uh, Mayweather Jr.'s father was a professional boxer. Boyd Mayweather Jr. is one of the best boxers we've had in quite some time. In my industry, Joe Buck. His father, Jack, was a legendary broadcaster. And by the time Joe was 24, he's doing Super Bowls and World Series and was ready for the moment. And Andrew Wiggins playing in the NBA Finals, kind of like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, the first time they were there. Now Gary Payton as well. Right, kind of ready for the big spot. You're around the locker room. You're around these professional athletes. You grew up with it. You're on the court in pregame warm-ups like Tatum's kid this NBA Finals. You grew up in that, that lifestyle. And when it's the time for you to try to step up in those moments, you're ready to go. I grew up in a family. Uh, our family business is insurance. I never worked in insurance, but I got a lot of buddies who do because I grew up in the insurance capital of the United States. And I could talk insurance with some of those buddies, even though I've never worked in it, because I've heard plenty over the years from my family. And if I ever got into insurance, maybe I'd have a leg up on the competition as well. Just like a lot of these athletes, second-generation guys, they're some of the best athletes we've seen. And the Golden State Warriors are being led by four second-generation players and a coach who played in the league. They're ready for these moments. Which takes me to this. Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum's favorite player growing up was Kobe Bryant. He wanted to play for the Lakers. His agent didn't want him to go try out because they already had Ingram, and he didn't want Jason Tatum to go to the Lakers. So pre-draft, right, he didn't work out for the Lakers, but that's where he wanted to go. And we've seen him here in the playoffs wear the number 24 armband for Kobe, sent a text message to Kobe's phone number before the start of the NBA Finals. He has dressed like him in practice during the NBA Finals. His Instagram photo for the last couple of years since Kobe's passing is the two of them with the same pose. The difference, however, is that Kobe Bryant was relentless. Jason Tatum is not. You can want to be like Kobe Bryant, but you're far from it. Kobe Bryant, his favorite player growing up, right? he modeled his game after Michael Jordan, and he was very similar to Jordan. Was he as good as Jordan? No. But was he as tough to maybe play with or get along with? Yes. Was he as tough on his opponents in the fourth quarter? Yes. Did he want the ball in his hands in the big moments? Of course. Even if you watch their style of play, his style was somewhat, he tried to duplicate Jordan. Certainly with the pull-up jumpers, right off the dribble, in the mid-range. You could see, you could watch Kobe Bryant and have flashes of Jordan. You don't watch Jason Tatum and get flashes of Kobe Bryant. Bryant was big in the big spots. Jason Tatum disappears. His field goal percentage goes down every quarter. In fact, in the fourth quarter of this postseason, he's shooting 24% in the fourth quarter. Steph Curry is averaging more points than Jason Tatum is shooting. Tatum has set the record for most turnovers in the playoffs. And last night, what happened to start the game? He was not ready to go. 
He had to be benched in the first quarter. Didn't attempt a shot for the first 10 minutes of that game. And while he started to play well at the end of the first quarter into the second, came out in the second half with some big shots to lift the Celtics back in the fourth quarter. When they needed him most, he was one for five last night. Had a couple of air balls. He had more air balls than made baskets. You know why the Celtics struggle in the fourth quarter all year long? They were the second worst clutch team this year because their star struggles in those moments. You take on the personality of your star. You go the way of your star. And the fourth quarter is for stars. And that's when those stars need to be their best. In fact, since Kobe Bryant was drafted going back 26 years ago, no one has more 20-point fourth quarters in the NBA than Kobe Bryant. Nobody scored more in the fourth quarter since he entered the league than Kobe. That's the big difference. Meanwhile, for Jason Tatum, he has more turnovers than baskets in the fourth quarter. And last night was his chance. No Steph Curry, right? Curry was not playing well. Series on the line. We know the winner of Game 5 wins the series about 73% of the time. Here's your chance to step up. Tatum's opportunity to be that star. Their star is not playing well. You have a chance to be that guy. Carry your team to a big win. Because we know the best player on the floor usually wins in the finals. Go back and look historically. Dwayne Wade to Kawhi Leonard to Tim Duncan to Kobe to Jordan to Magic to Bird. All these guys. Giannis more recently. LeBron. Durant and Steph Curry. Usually it's the best player wins the big games. And last night, Tatum had every opportunity to be that best player. Steph Curry was invisible for a large portion. And yet, Tatum still wasn't good enough. He didn't step up. Instead, you know who did? Andrew Wiggins stepped up. Wiggins was better than Jason Tatum. Tatum was not the best player in that game last night, even with Curry not playing well. Here's Amari Stoudemire this morning talking about Jason Tatum and the struggles in the fourth quarters. Well, I think he, is maybe, he may be a little bit fatigued. But at this point in, 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 in your season, there's no time for no excuses, right? Either you have it or you don't. You got to dig deep and yep. find that, yep. inner, that inner strength to get it done. Um, and so, you know, it, it's interesting to see because he's such a great player and there's so many intangibles that he has, on the, you know, within his repertoire of his game, of his skill set that he can bring out uh, that would allow him to be aggressive in the fourth. But I don't, I don't see the... I don't see the enthusiasm. I don't see the aggressiveness. I don't see it right now in the right. fourth quarter, and that's, and, I, and that's a problem for me. Yeah, sure is. I think it's a problem for most people on the Celtics side. That's the big difference. Kobe was relentless. He would do his best work in the fourth quarter. He wanted his ball or the ball in his hands. Jason Tatum seems to disappear. Tatum's numbers this NBA Finals are about the same as Chris Middleton's a year ago. Were we calling Chris Middleton some sort of star, or were we saying, ah, he's not good enough to win a Finals as your second-best player? Tatum's supposed to be the best player. And you could say, hey, he's too young, right? He's only 24 years old. It's just his first NBA Finals. We got to cut him some slack. Yeah, I could understand that. But Giannis was also in his first NBA Finals a year ago. Michael Jordan won his first Finals and never lost. And you could say, well, those guys were older. Okay, Magic Johnson won his first NBA Finals. He was 20 years old, and he had to play center in the deciding game. And in that game, playing center, he went for 42 points and 15 rebounds, and they won the Finals when he was 20. Larry Bird won his first NBA Finals, averaged almost a triple-double. He was 20. Dwayne Wade won the Finals when he was 24, much like Jason Tatum. For Wade, it was only his third year in the league. It was his first NBA Finals. He was the MVP, averaged 35 points per game as a 24-year-old playing in his first NBA Finals. Kobe Bryant won his first NBA Finals. By the way, he was only 21. And while he may not have been the best player that series, there was Shaq, he obviously had Phil Jackson coaching the team, Kobe was big time in his second and third finals. Tatum is only 24. 
By the time Kobe was 24, he had three rings. There's a big difference between these two. Tatum uh, will dress like Kobe. He was his favorite player. He wants to be like Kobe, but he's missing the most important part, that relentless nature at the end of the game. Jordan, Kobe, they wouldn't accept losing. And I'm not telling you that Tatum is accepting losing, but when they need him most, he seems to disappear. In game four, when they had a chance to put that series away, he took one shot in the final seven minutes. Can't happen. You're supposed to be the star. He had two baskets in the second half of that game. Last night, one basket in the fourth quarter with a series on the line. Not good enough. Now, the good news for Tatum, he has one more chance. Game six at home. And we know game six against Milwaukee, he was fantastic to keep the Celtics alive. Problem is, I imagine Steph Curry will be pretty hungry in game six because he played so poorly last night. And even if the Celtics win game six, they'd then have to come back to San Fran and win game seven, and I don't think they can do that. The Celtics also haven't been great at home. So even though they're heading home for game six, it may not be the safe haven that it's supposed to. But for the Celtics, right, game five, you were leading in the second half. Or actually, yeah, both, game four and game five, you're leading in the third quarter. And you let both games slip away, which is the series. You win game four, you win the series. You win last night, you have a pretty good chance of winning the series. And they blew both games in the fourth quarter. And in those fourth quarters, Tatum had one basket in the fourth quarter of game four, one basket in the fourth quarter of game five. Kobe may not have always been at his best, like when Ron Artest saved him in Game 7 12 years ago, but you knew he was at least going to go down swinging, and that's the big difference. Kobe is Tatum's favorite player. Tatum wants to be like Kobe, but he's missing the most important part, that relentless nature that you want the ball in your hands and you're going to attack until the final whistle. All right, Kobe uh, tore his Achilles, still went to the free throw line. He wasn't talking about fatigue. Jason Tatum's got to be better in the big spots if he wants to be like his favorite player. Coming up, we'll power rank quarterbacks in the NFC. Where would Baker Mayfield slot in? Because there are still rumors about Baker joining the NFC. The Morrow Midday Show, right here on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Coming up, who are the best quarterbacks in the NFC? And where would Baker Mayfield slot in? We'll get to that here on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. Open the show talking about the NBA Finals last night with the Warriors winning Game 5. We know the numbers. When you win Game 5 in a series that's tied at 2, that winner goes on to win the series 73% of the time. You know, what's funny is the Celtics won Game 1. The winner of game one usually wins something like whatever it is, 71%. They won game three. I think that's even higher, about 80% of the time. And yet the Warriors are probably going to win this series anyways. So take all these numbers with a grain of salt. It's never 100%. It's only a 71% chance of winning. But Golden State has shown themselves to be the better team, as I expected, over these last two games. And I think they closed this thing out. Maybe not in game six. Maybe the Celtics are at home. It depends which way they go. Maybe they just quit, they pack it in, or they have some fight in front of the home crowd. And Golden State, we've seen at times, they haven't closed series out on the road. They wait to go back home and do it. But I can't see Boston winning both of these games to steal the finals at this point from Golden State. Actually, sorry, Rick Barry scolded me. I shouldn't say steal anything about the, the basketball floor, even though there is a stat called steals in basketball. Hey, um, there's a, a power ranking. CBS Sports put out their power ranking 
of quarterbacks in the NFC. Before we get to that list, we have more reports from both Cleveland's side and Carolina's side about the Panthers trying to get Baker Mayfield. The latest is from uh, Jonathan Jones, who used to cover the Panthers. Now he's, uh, he's just been promoted to the insider, the main guy for CBS Sports. He's there, Adam Schefter. And he said there's urgency from the Panthers' side to trade for Baker Mayfield soon so he can participate in minicamp. Minicamps are starting all around the league. They're still debating or bickering over Baker Mayfield's salary and how much the Panthers would actually take on. But it seems like they've always been interested. We had reports also from the Cleveland side of things. Cleveland.com reported yesterday as well that the two sides are still talking and have been about a Baker Mayfield trade. And it's a situation where I've been saying all offseason, you just, if you're Carolina, I know you want him here for minicamp because he's going to be learning a new offense. You don't want to just throw him in game one. You know, he just arrived to the team, and he's playing a couple of weeks later. He wanted to get comfortable with his teammates. But if you're so hung up on the price, which, by the way, I know there's a whole salary cap in the NFL and everything, although the Rams would tell you that maybe it's a little phony. You have the richest owner in the league if you're the Panthers. They have cap space. If you're that desperate for the quarterback and the quarterback's the most important position, don't you just bite the bullet? Should we really be haggling over a couple million dollars when you're David Tepper and you have money to spend? I know you don't want to handcuff yourself, but it's a one-year deal anyways. At the end of the day, I know you don't want to overpay for a guy, but sometimes that's the cost of doing business if you really are that desperate for a quarterback. But nonetheless, as I've been saying throughout the offseason, if you just wait them out, the Browns eventually are going to have to drop their price. Just like you go to a yard sale as they're shutting down. You see those signs posted throughout the neighborhood. They're having a yard sale, right? 8 to 11, that show up at 1055. And as they're packing everything up, or they're just going to have to bring it out to the curb, you can get it pretty cheap. Same idea with Baker. Eventually, the Browns are just going to have to cut him or give him to the Panthers for a better price. But I was thinking about this because I saw this list also put out by CBSSports.com of the top quarterbacks in the NFC. And the NFC, we know, is not nearly as good as the AFC when it comes to quarterback talent. Now, this list was put together by Cody Benjamin for CBS Sports. I don't have any huge issues with the list. His top five is Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Stafford, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray. After that, in fact, maybe even before that, there's a bit of a drop-off. Kirk Cousins is number six. I don't disagree, but it's not like Kirk Cousins is going to be winning a Super Bowl. Right, the only quarterbacks I think that can actually win a Super Bowl are the three guys that have done it, the first three guys on the list. Dak Prescott, I'd probably agree, is the fourth-best quarterback in the NFC. I don't know if he's going to win a Super Bowl, though, in Dallas. Kyler Murray, I don't think he will. I have a lot of concerns about him in Arizona. With that said, I also probably agree, yeah, I'd put him five or six. And then you have Jalen Hurts. Carson Wentz is number eight. Jameis Winston, nine. Trey Lance, ten. If I'm uh, nitpicking, that's one that Trey Lance hasn't played yet. I don't know if I'd put him already at 10th in the NFC. That's followed by Justin Fields, Jared Goff, Daniel Jones, Marcus Mariota, the Falcons quarterback, Geno Smith, Sam Darnold. Now, those three are actually tied. I think that's a little bit of a cop-out. They're all tied for the worst quarterbacks in the NFC. Marcus Mariota, Geno Smith, Sam Darnold. Cody, why don't we organize it, right? Don't just you get to 14 on the list and you throw in the towel. And let's organize those guys. Now, the photos are ranked Mariota, Geno Smith, Sam Darnold. Maybe that's how he would order them, although that kind of defeats the purpose of a tie. But they're all tied for the worst quarterbacks in the NFC. The Falcons quarterback and the Panthers quarterback. That's what we have to look forward to when the NFL comes around here in this part of the country. The two worst quarterbacks in the conference, tied with Geno Smith. 
couple of things. He obviously assumes Gino will be the starter in Seattle. And uh, he assumes Trey Lance will be the starter in San Francisco, which then would make Jimmy Garoppolo, we assume, available. Sam Darnold is the worst quarterback in the NFC. Goes along with my point that if you're that desperate for a quarterback and you're David Tepper, maybe you just swallow the bill to, uh, you know, to, to uh, upgrade, if you believe it's an upgrade at the quarterback position to get Baker Mayfield. Before I ask about Baker, Trent, let me ask you first, your impressions of this list from Cody Benjamin ranking the top 16 NFC quarterbacks, any huge issues with his order of the quarterbacks in the NFC? Besides, you know, mailing it in with uh, 14, <laughs> 15, 16. Come on, Cody, do better uh, here. No, I, I don't have too many issues. I, I would um, say that 11, 12, 13 is very interesting. Actually, 10 through 13 is very interesting because obviously Trey Lance played in two games last year. Justin Fields was banged up the entire season. He also has a horrible roster around him, so we're probably not going to see a lot of production out of him. I'd probably put Jared Goff over the uh, two second-year guys. And potentially even, even though I'm not a Daniel Jones guy by any stretch of the imagination, I don't think he's a good quarterback, I'd probably put him over those two guys as of right now. Now, that could definitely change this coming season. Trey Lance has all the cards, but he's got a phenomenal roster around him. So he's he's going to look good with that roster. But no, I don't have any problems. I would say, though, I would probably, and this may just because I'm not a Carson Wentz guy by any stretch of the imagination, I'd probably put Jameis Winston ahead of Carson Wentz as of right now. Interesting. I wouldn't push back too strong on that. Okay. I, I'd probably take Carson, but I can understand. At that point, it's almost like picking your poison. Both guys, right? They're both top picks that haven't really worked out. Not great. Both no. of them aren't great. <laughs> both turn it over a bunch. You know, it's like whatever. I just think more like Jameis could potentially have a lot more success in New Orleans with that team around him than Carson Wentz going to Washington when we don't even know if his best receiver is going to be playing this season because he's holding out. True. I agree with that. That I'll agree with. And by the way, if you're Terry McLaurin, I know you want the money. Yeah, that's not good for Carson. You're trying to get on the same page with a new quarterback. He's trying to learn his new uh, offense, and his star receiver won't be there this offseason. I've heard, uh, heard Indy has their uh, big uh, big eyes on Terry McLaurin because he went to Indiana. He's from Indiana. And uh, Chris Ballard, you know, he's very frugal with his money, but to get a guy like Terry McLaurin to oh, add yeah. to that roster, whew, that might be some problems. Yeah, look out for my Colts, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm also hearing rumors about if DK Metcalf's moved, the Colts could be interested. They need a uh, – who? Michael Pittman Jr.? What, what do you have, 400 yards last year? You know, you need some t- – uh, T.Y. is on the back half of right. his career. Come on. Like, you Goes need... back to uh, Andrew Wiggins. Right. A, a two versus a one. I think Pittman's <laughs> kind of more of a two. I don't think they have that number one. You bring in a McLaurin. All right. Now the whole offense gets better. Yeah. Do you think Sam Darnold's the worst quarterback in the NFC? By far. By far. By far. Yeah, I, I think by far. And that's, again, no knock. Uh, actually, a knock on Sam Darnold. No doubt about it. But, I mean, I've just seen I've seen Geno Smith win games for Seattle before. We've seen Marcus Mariota win games when he was in Tennessee and Oakland before. And I personally, I've never seen Sam Darnold win games where it matters. So I would probably say that he is right now the worst quarterback in, in the uh, NFC. I would probably take him over Geno Smith. Mm. And I may take him over Marcus Mariota. Whoa. Now I'm curious. Mariota's gone through this uh, like Mitch Trubisky phase, except I give more credit to Mariota, where he went and was a backup somewhere and it like raised his stock. Yeah, no and doubt. you kind of forget about what he was as a starter in Tennessee. He was a backup in Oakland and then Las Vegas. And for whatever reason, just being over there, and he did, he would fill in, and you know, he looked pretty good in spot duty. 
But suddenly it's like, oh, this Mariota guy, he's intriguing again. Yeah, I don't he, think so. He came in for a quarter for the Raiders, I think, last season, and he looked really good. Yeah. And then everybody, like Atlanta, immediately was like, oh, let's go let's go get Mariota back, especially with Arthur Smith. They know each other from – right. Arthur Smith was the OC in Tennessee for a while. So I, I, I feel like that relationship might be okay. Yeah, he obviously – he must like him enough to bring him in. But it's also like I think back to Matt Flynn when he filled in for Aaron Rodgers and they got a huge contract off of one game as a backup. Through 400 yards and then yeah. just got a $20 million deal. Matt Castle was a longer sample size, right? But he was a backup filled in for Brady. And it's like, ooh, we got to make this guy a starter. Similar with Mariota. Now, I know Mariota's once a starter, so it's not the perfect comp to those other guys. But you saw him fill in and with the Raiders and they're like, wow, wait a minute, hold on. This guy may be much, a lot better now than he used to be. I don't think so. But the whole point of this exercise is because I'm curious, with the NFC not being nearly as good for quarterbacks, say Baker Mayfield is traded to the Panthers today. Where on this list would you put Baker Mayfield? I'd, prob- I'd have to put him in front of Trey Lance and Justin Fields because this guy has been to an AFC championship game before. He has won games in the NFL, took the Browns to the playoffs. That's the most important part. And, you know, I'm a Baker supporter. I think he's actually a good quarterback when he's healthy. If he's not healthy, you can just write him off. i definitely put him in front of Trey Lance and Justin Fields, probably put him in front of Jared Goff as of right now and Daniel Jones. I, I would say he'd be he'd be the 10th. If if we were talking right now, I think he'd be the 10th best quarterback in the NFC. Okay, and then you'd have him slotted right behind uh, Carson Wentz and Jameis Winston. Yes, but as of uh, – uh, actually, I, I, don't, I don't know about that. That's, that's tough for me to say that Carson Wentz and Jameis Winston are over Baker Mayfield as of right now because, I mean, just the playoff wins and success has been more for Baker Mayfield than those two guys. I think Baker – yeah, I think that's the, the company he would keep. We could uh, debate it, but he'd be somewhere in that – Eight to ten area. Yeah, I wouldn't put him in front of Jalen Hurts or Kirk Cousins as of right now. I don't. I don't believe so. I wouldn't put him ahead of Kirk. Jalen, I'm kind of out on Jalen, but I don't know. He did get them to the playoffs last year. You see a picture of him recently? I told we talked about it a couple weeks ago. These quarterbacks. He's, he's buff now. He's yoked. Yeah. I mean, he's about 240 pounds right now. Looking good. He's gonna take some hits. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Baker, I would say somewhere in that area of seven to ten. Mm-hmm. which speaks to, A, how poor the NFC is in terms of the quarterback depth. The AFC, uh, Baker, is not in the 7-10 to 10 range. He'd probably be towards the bottom. The AFC is a lot better for quarterbacks. And then, B, maybe how important it'd be for Carolina to do this upgrade. Because right now, they would have one of the worst. I wouldn't put him at the bottom. Trent would. We could debate about it with Sam Darnold. I wouldn't have him far from the bottom in the NFC. But if you get a Baker Mayfield, we're both in agreement that he'd probably slot right into the middle of the NFC. And that could be good enough for Carolina to be at least maybe in the playoff race. I don't know, competitive. Especially if he's better than Jameis Winston and you have the second-best quarterback in the division. Because he is better than Mariota. I'd rather have him than Sam Darnold at this point. And Winston, we could debate. But if Baker Mayfield comes over to the NFC, yeah, I would probably agree. Somewhere in that 7-10 to 10 range, I think worthy of a, of a chance for the Panthers to try to take a chance, take a swing at Baker Mayfield. It's going to be interesting to see, Luke, with this roster that the Panthers have, because obviously you have DJ Moore, who is a, you know, very uh, productive receiver. He's not a superstar or anything like that, but he's a productive receiver. Robbie Anderson has fallen off over the last couple of years. It may just be the quarterback. He hasn't had somebody to throw him the ball because he's had Sam Darnold in both places that he's been with the Jets and uh, and with Carolina now. So if he has somebody to throw the ball, but... I just don't see Baker having a ton of success if there's not a lot of weapons around him. Because it seemed like in, in uh, Cleveland, he had weapons, especially in the running back position. I mean, he could fault to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt all day long. Yeah, I think Baker is a guy that needs uh, enough help around him. Right? Um, 
uh, Bucky Brooks and Daniel Jeremiah always steal their phrase. Is the quarterback, is he the truck or the trailer? Is he pulling the team to victory or are you kind of pulling him to a victory? And Sam Darnold's one of those guys, too, that Sam, he's not going to win on his own. He needs to, uh, to be surrounded by talent. Meanwhile, like a Patrick Mahomes, I think he can win on his own. Aaron Rodgers, I have felt that way about Russell Wilson in the past. Tom Brady, right, good enough quarterbacks that they don't need the most talented teams in the league. They'll still win. Meanwhile, I think Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Marcus Mariota, those types of guys, they need a lot of talent around them. And then you just hope they don't screw it up. They'll get the job done for you. We'll see if Baker is still making his way to Carolina. But apparently the Panthers have some sense of urgency. They want to try to get this done here soon so we can participate in the offseason. When we come back, speaking of that, five things that need to be figured out or done before we start the NFL season. I'll give you those five next. It's the Morrow Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. I want to stop. Thank you, baby. I want to stop. And thank you, baby. Yes, I do. Coming up, the five things that need to be done or figured out before we start the NFL season. I'll rank them for you in just a moment here on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734, on the text line. Somebody asked, if the Panthers do get Baker Mayfield, will they then trade Sam Darnold? I just don't know if there's a market for Sam Darnold. I mean, there are plenty of desperate teams out there, which is the reason why Baker will probably wind up somewhere. Maybe Carolina. I don't think the same can be said for Darnold, and there's fewer opportunities. I think you just keep Sam Darnold. Now, as I was saying, for Carolina, I know Baker Mayfield comes with a big big price tag. The Panthers have the third most salary cap space. And you have the richest owner. Now, I don't know if they could try to, with this contract you already have, like the way the Rams, you know, the Rams are able to work around some things, and because Les Need has all sorts of money, and they're willing to spend some of that money. And they turn it into signing bonuses and this and that, and you can get away, you can finagle the cap a little bit. David Tepper can do the same thing. Now, I don't know if it's too late to try to do that with Baker Mayfield's contract at this point, but they still have the third most salary cap space in the league, and Sam Darnold could be a good backup with Baker. They could compete in the offseason, and then, you know, knock on wood, you hope there's no injury, but if there is, Sam Darnold's a solid backup instead of what would be like a P.J. Walker. So if I'm Carolina and I go and get a, a Baker, I'm, I'm probably keeping both guys. They're both, they both will be free agents at the end of the year as well. But that takes me to this. I was thinking about this as we get ready for the NFL season a couple of months away. We still have some important things that need to be sorted out. So I rank the top five things, the five biggest storylines that we still need to figure out before the start of the NFL season. And let's get to them now with our tasty top five. This is a tasty burger. It's the tasty top five. I'm tasty. Number five. The Steelers quarterback situation. Will Kenny Pickett start week one? Kenny Pickett is the only rookie that we could see right away, and he'll be competing with Mitch Trubisky. So not really uh, the most daunting task for Pickett in Pittsburgh. But when we look at these quarterbacks, he may be the only guy that has these franchise quarterback expectations. Will he start right away? Will he sit most of this first year? Will they ease him in? I'm curious to see what the Steelers' plan is at the quarterback position, and I think clarity will be important. We may not get that clarity until preseason, and you actually see them play in some live reps. 
But Kenny Pickett, I put at number five. It's not the most important thing, but what are the Steelers going to do at the quarterback position? Will we see one of these rookie quarterbacks start right away? And Pickett's the only guy that went in the first two rounds, so he's the best candidate to start immediately. Will the Steelers do that, or will they ease him in and use Trubisky instead? Number four, I'll say DK Metcalf. We could also throw Terry McLaurin in there now because he's hold, you know, holding out with the uh, Washington Commanders. But Metcalf, same idea with Seattle. Now, I understand why DK would be unhappy or why he would be doing this. He is set to hit the market a year from now, and what do they just do? They replace Russell Wilson with Drew Locke and or Geno Smith. So if I'm Metcalf, I'm thinking, well, my production, right? I better strike while the iron is hot because my production is about to tank. A wide receiver, you can only a good wide receiver, you can only do so much because you're dependent on your quarterback. And plus, with Russ gone, you get rid of this let Russ cook storyline. Pete Carroll at heart is a defensive guy. He wants to run the football. And so I don't know how many even opportunities you'll have for a Metcalf compared to years past when they were probably throwing it more than they're going to. Granted, they will be trailing, so they'll have to throw it a lot. But if I'm Metcalf, I get it. I usually don't like guys holding out like this before their contract. But look, the Seahawks changed the circumstances for you. It'd be like you at your job when you had an assistant or you had a coworker that was working hand-in-hand hand with you or you had maybe like a secretary and the company gets rid of them and they don't replace them and now they ask you to do more. You go to the boss and say, all right, that's fine, but shouldn't I be getting paid a little? You just made my life harder. Shouldn't you pay me a little bit more for that? And that's kind of Metcalf saying like, all right, I mean, you just got your, if I stay here, you're going to have to pay me more because you just replaced my quarterback, Russell Wilson, a Hall of Famer with Drew Locke and Geno Smith. Either trade me to a better quarterback or pay me more to have to deal with this. So in this case, I actually get DK Metcalf's side and why he would want more money or a trade. Number three, as we were just talking, the Baker Mayfield situation. This needs to be sorted out by the time the season starts. Now, I thought if you know both sides could be adults, the Browns could be better suited to keeping Baker around. And Baker could be victorious as well because he could try to you know, use it as an audition. I do think Deshaun Watson will be suspended. More on that in a moment. I don't know if Deshaun will even be available at all this year. So if you're the Browns, wouldn't you like to still have Baker start one more year? And if you're Baker Mayfield, wouldn't you like that tryout on a pretty good team heading into free agency to get a better contract a year from now? But I think we're too far gone at this point that that relationship cannot be repaired. And so if you're Cleveland, you got to by the time week one starts, Baker can't be on your roster. So you got to figure this out. Are you just going to cut him? Are you going to trade him? Who are you going to trade him to? That's number three of the storylines that need to be figured out before we start the NFL season. Number two, similar, it's Jimmy Garoppolo. Most people assume Trey Lance will be the starter. And if you're going to start Trey Lance, Jimmy, don't keep him as a backup. You might as well get rid of him. So where is he going to go? A lot of people point to Seattle. That would make maybe DK Metcalf happy. But what are the Niners going to do with Jimmy Garoppolo? And San Francisco is in a little bit of a different spot than Cleveland. Cleveland has the second most salary cap space. San Francisco has the third fewest salary cap space. And the way these contracts work, they'll actually get salary cap relief by releasing Jimmy. The Browns, not so much. They'll take a dead cap hit from Baker, right? It's not to their advantage to release Baker. To the Niners, financially, it's kind of to their advantage to just release him. So if we get to a point where they can't trade him and we're heading into the season and they say, yeah, we're going to start Trey Lance, you might as well release Jimmy Garoppolo. Where's Jimmy going to be this football season? That's number two on my list. And obviously number one of the things that most need to be figured out before we can start this NFL season, it's, of course, Deshaun Watson. This is the biggest story in terms of the off-the-field stuff this offseason in terms of connecting the dots or these storylines of trying to get some clarity, getting a resolution to some of these questions we've been wondering all offseason. 
Deshaun Watson, what does his immediate future hold with the Browns and the NFL? Is he going to be suspended? Is he going to be able to play at all? Is he going to lose some of these lawsuits, right, be punished even outside of the NFL? Is more coming down? What is going to happen with Deshaun Watson? That's the number one story. And I think the longer it drags on, the worse it appears for the NFL. Make your decision. And as I said before, in regards to the PGA Tour, you can always peel back the punishment. Just like if you're a parent, right? You can always unground your kid. That's a lot easier. Letting him off the hook a little bit after grounding him for a few days as opposed to trying to place a punishment on him a couple weeks later. Well, remember when you did this last month? Yeah, now you're grounded, right? That doesn't work so well. Same idea here. Come down hard. There's, a, there's an appeal process. You can always peel it back. We still have three months to go. But I think if optically, it looks worse and worse when the NFL is just sitting there. Deshaun Watson begins minicamp today with the Browns, and we're getting more lawsuits. I just think it's not great optically. We have to get some sort of clarity here. That's the biggest thing to be sorted out before the start of the NFL season. When we come back along those lines, another day and more bad news for the Deshaun Watson camp. We'll get to that next. It's the more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Wrapping up hour one of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Another day and more bad news for Deshaun Watson's camp, at least on the surface. As uh, two more women have uh, come forward with lawsuits, one of them was passed off to Houston attorney Tony Busby by uh, an Atlanta law firm. So if this woman's based in, in Atlanta, uh, that's uh, you know somebody in another state now getting involved. And uh, another woman was coming forward after seeing the, uh, that HBO Real Sports episode about a week or two ago. And she watched the uh, episode and was compelled to come forward, which will be the 26th lawsuit against Deshaun Watson. This was first reported last night by the uh, aforementioned Jonathan Jones had that report. Now, Deshaun is speaking to the media currently for the first time since he signed his contract, his introductory press conference with the Browns. So this is the first time in about three months he's speaking with the media. I'm actually surprised. I don't know if it's an obligation because uh, minicamp begins today. I don't know if they had to make Deshaun available, but I'm surprised that uh, he actually is facing the questions from the media for the first time in three months. I'm sure we'll get some sound from that, if not today, probably on the show tomorrow. Uh, But I saw this quote from uh, Josina Anderson where Deshaun Watson said, this is going to be my home for my career. And he thanked the media and asked for respect for the legal proceedings ahead. I imagine you won't get too much from Deshaun when it comes to that stuff. But there are now uh, more women have joined in. We have 26 lawsuits. The number keeps going up with Deshaun Watson. And we'll see. We continue to wait and see what will come from the NFL, if anything. But as the days move on, every day it seems like more potentially troubling news for Deshaun Watson and his camp and all this. And meanwhile, he begins minicamp with the Browns today. When we come back... Hour two. We'll get to our taste test. Plus, which team could potentially end Clemson's home winning streak this year? We'll do that next. It's the more Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Second hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up, which team could potentially end Clemson's home winning streak this year? Get to that on the Morrow Midday Show. Plus, we have our taste test coming up in just a little bit. We will help you decide if there's a new healthy alternative to Coca-Cola. Maybe you've been drinking too much soda you're trying to cut down on the sugar don't worry we got the solution for you but we have to try it out first coming up a little bit later on this hour hey don't forget coming up this thursday in two days you can join the gamecock club for the charleston county welcome home tour featuring the men's basketball coach lamont paris as well as the football coach shane beamer for exclusive gamecock athletic updates a Q&A session, autographs, and more. Coming up this Thursday, two days from now, the Porter Room at Holy City Brewing Company. Doors open at 6 p.m. Tickets are $40 for adults, $15 for kids 12 and under. Tickets include food provided by Kickin' Chicken, and a cash bar is available. This Thursday night, the Porter Room at Holy City Brewing Company. Doors open at 6 p.m. Go join the uh, Gamecock Club for the Charleston County Welcome Home Tour with Lamont Paris and Shane Beamer. It was a good day. Was that Sunday? Gamecocks got like four commits. Clemson added a couple more this week. Clemson right now has the eighth best recruiting class in the country for next year. Uh, Part of that may be because of the number of guys they already have. Told you, right? Not a bad thing to start having guys come on campus uh, for official visits here in the summer. So both Clemson and South Carolina having good weeks right now in recruiting for uh, the 2023 class. We'll have our taste test coming up where it's a TikTok trend. So, of course, you know. If it's on TikTok, we got to do it. Where it's supposed to be a healthy alternative to Coca-Cola. And it is uh, sparkling water and balsamic vinegar. Right, right. Doesn't doesn't sound, you know, pleasing from the get-go, Luke. It doesn't sound like it's going to be good, in my opinion. I am, I guess you could say open, open-minded. I, I, I am uh, looking forward to giving it a try. And I think that it has a chance to maybe not be good. But not be terrible. At least that's my okay. hope. I guess that's what I'm hoping for. I don't okay. think it's going to taste. The idea, for those unfamiliar, and we talked about this last week, it's supposed to be a healthy alternative. Some uh, a, a woman was the first one to do the video on TikTok, and she's, uh, she said she was told to do it from a, her Pilates instructor. And it's supposed to taste exactly like Coca-Cola, but be a lot healthier. Yeah, see, and, and I did some uh, research last night. I was Uh-oh. watching some reaction videos uh, to you know, trying this new trend, if you will. And uh, some of them didn't go over very well. So I'm excited to see how we all react because Bobby Harden will be joining us in here to uh, right. taste test it. So I'm, I'm just curious to see how it goes and uh, if any of us get sick, quite honestly. We'll have to see. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, so that'll be coming up in just a little bit. And hopefully everything uh, will uh, go okay. Eh, just take a sip, that's all. You just got to get... 
Just swish it around in your mouth a little bit and let's see how it tastes. Yeah, spin it around like wine. Make sure yeah. it gets back teeth, front teeth, the whole thing. And uh, you could try it uh, at home as well. Vin- balsamic vinegar and uh, some sparkling water. So we're locked and loaded, ready to go. We'll do it in just a little bit. Before we get there, Clemson and their home schedule this year. Friend of the show, Brad Crawford, put out his list of 10, call them bold predictions for the upcoming college football season. One of them is that NC State will end Clemson's home winning streak when these two play on October 1st. Clemson has won 34 straight at home. He believes NC State will end that streak. We'll come back to that in a moment and do a little bit of a dive into that question or idea. But just to uh, give you the list in case you're curious, his other predictions for this fall are that Houston will enter November undefeated. Utah will win the Pac-12 and reach the college football playoff. Michigan State will actually finish only fourth in their division in the Big Ten. Scott Frost and Nebraska will beat Oklahoma and begin the year 5-0. and Lincoln Riley will make the biggest first-year splash. Uh, Tennessee's quarterback, Hendon Hooker, will set multiple passing records. And Will Anderson, Dallas Turner will combine for over 30 sacks for the Alabama defense. Texas will win its first Big 12 title since 2009. Everybody's on Texas this year. People will be asking once again, is Texas finally back? And Ohio State will sweep the end-of-the-year accolades. Now, that's a bit bold. Uh, Well, let me see. He's talking about Heisman, National Coach of the Year, and National Champion. So, yeah, that is a bit bold, but uh, to be able to do all three. But he thinks Ohio State will win the National Championship. Ryan Day will be the Coach of the Year, and C.J. Stroud will win Heisman this year. Those are the ten predictions for the upcoming football season from Brad Crawford. Now, let's circle back to the first one I mentioned and zero in on that a little bit. The idea that NC State will end Clemson's home winning streak. They've won 34 straight. Let's look at Clemson's home schedule this year, see who may have the best chance of trying to do such a thing. They begin at home with Furman. Obviously, that will be a win. The next week, they get Louisiana Tech at home. That should certainly be a win. Then their first conference game at home is that game against NC State on October 1st. After that, In the ACC, they welcome in Syracuse at home, and then Louisville, and then Miami, and then South Carolina. So Gamecock fans may be saying, hey, we're going to be the ones. On November 26th, at the end of the year, we'll be the ones that end that winning streak if somebody else hasn't. But I don't think South Carolina will. And they were beat 30 nothing last year at their place. And I know you're adding Spencer Rattler to the mix. I don't think he's 30 points better. So I don't think South Carolina will end the winning streak for Clemson, or their own losing streak against Clemson in that final matchup of the season. I also think Syracuse will be pretty bad once again this year. And while I would give Louisville you know, a fighter's chance, I think Louisville could be intriguing this year. I don't think they would be the team to knock off Clemson either when they take them on in uh, the middle of November. I think it comes down to the two toughest home games for Clemson. NC State October 1st and Miami November 19th, the first conference game at home and the final conference game at home. I also think these are the two best teams in the ACC, not named Clemson, NC State and Miami. So maybe you could see why I feel those are the two toughest tests at home for Clemson this season. Which one of those stand the better chance? Now, NC State is facing my uh, Clemson before Miami. So if uh, 
if we had Brad Crawford on the line right now, I could ask, right, if he thinks Miami has a chance. I don't know. Maybe it's just because NC State faces them first, or does he give NC State a better chance to actually beat Clemson more so than Miami? When I look at these two matchups, I see pros for both teams, right? For NC State, they face Clemson earlier in the year, and I think that's a benefit for NC State on both sides of the matchup. It's the first conference game at home for Clemson. It's the start of October. It's early in the season. Now, we saw last year, even when Clemson wasn't at its best, they still got better as the year went on. And I always say, week one's the biggest toss-up, and I'd rather face a team early in the year when you try to sneak up on them, when you try to catch them before they're in mid-season form than towards the end of the year. Yeah, sure, by the end of the year, they may be worn out a little bit. They may be more beat up, more injured by then. But they're also probably, if they're well-coached, a more uh, you know, well-oiled machine. We saw South Carolina get better as last year went on. That's a promising sign for the coaching staff and for the program moving forward. You want to see that improvement. Most teams, good teams, get better as the year moves forward. So if I'm NC State, I get Clemson early, a month into the season. Their first conference game at home, first real true test, right? They start Georgia Tech, Furman, Louisiana Tech. Those are a bunch of cupcakes. NC State will be the first test. I want to be the first test. You want to get them right away. Not only that, but for NC State, I think they could have an advantage early in the year because they are the most experienced team in the conference. They're bringing back almost their entire defense. Coaching staff has been there a long time. Quarterback's coming back. They have more continuity than any team in the ACC. So I think that gives NC State a a leg up early in the year because you would imagine they could get into midseason form a little bit quicker. Because a lot of guys are coming back. Veteran guys, same system. They're playing in the same system, right? Same coaches. You're just trying to run it back from last year. For Clemson, you're breaking in a couple of new coordinators. We'll see about the quarterback position by the time we reach October. And even we saw last year, right, slow start, got better as the year went on. So I think for NC State, it's an advantage to get Clemson earlier in the year. I think that's an advantage for NC State. Additionally, when you look at the schedule, Clemson will be coming off their game against Wake Forest. I don't know if that will be that tough of a game. You'd like to think so. Wake Forest was in the ACC title game last year. But nonetheless, uh, Clemson will, will face Wake Forest on the road the week before NC State. So you do get them coming off the road against Wake. Wake obviously had a prolific offense last year. Maybe they could try to challenge the Clemson defense a little bit. And then NC State, you get them the following week. Maybe that's to your advantage. Additionally, we saw what happened last year when these two played. So if NC State, granted that was at home, but you know if you could beat them uh, last year, maybe you, you at least have the um, confidence you could do it again this year. And I also just think NC State's the second-best team in the ACC behind Clemson. Uh, they had the second-best defense last year behind Clemson. So I don't know if they can match Clemson necessarily punch for punch, but they have the pieces to try to hang in there. They may be the toughest matchup in the conference for Clemson because their defense is right behind Clemson. Uh, I think NC State has the better quarterback. Dave Doran has been a thorn in the side of Dabo and Clemson. Uh, they have an experienced coaching staff. They had the second-best record behind Clemson last year. At times in the past, they've given Clemson all they could handle, beat them last year. So I think there's plenty of reasons why NC State feels like they could come to uh, the Palmetto State and beat Clemson there October 1st. Now, when it comes to Miami, they get Clemson later in the year. It's the penultimate game of the season, the final conference game for both teams. This will be the matchup in November. It'll be really intriguing. I think the Clemson-NC State game will be the most important for their division in the ACC. I think Miami, maybe when they play UNC, which is actually the following week, October 8th, maybe that will be the most important game in the Coastal. We'll see. 
But Miami and NC State, to me, are the two best teams in the ACC behind Clemson, so I think they pose the biggest threats. When it comes to Miami, like I said, they get Clemson at the end of the year. Maybe that's bad news for Miami because Clemson, like a good team, you figure they get better as the year goes on. However, I'd also say for Miami, they're breaking in a new coaching staff. So if you are the Hurricanes, maybe you'd rather face Clemson towards the end of the year when you are a well-oiled machine instead of still trying to figure your way through some things. A system change, new coaches, new style. You know, it's like I always say in baseball, a manager, a manager will always tell you it takes about a third of the season to figure out their bullpen. It takes them a while. Regardless of spring training and the offseason, even for college program, it takes you about two months to figure out, okay, this is when I could use this guy, this is when I could use that guy. Uh, so for a new coach coming in to football, even though you have the whole offseason, right, there's no preseason in college football, so you're still trying to figure some things out as the games go on. Maybe by Miami with the coaching changes – they rather face Clemson later in the year. they rather have their tougher tests later in the year when they feel like they'll be better prepared. NC State, they're probably the opposite. They want to face you early in the year because they're bringing everybody back. They don't need to wait till the end of the year. They'll be ready to go, ideally. Miami, eh, let's, let's wait. Let's push it off to the end of the year when we're more prepared. All right? So maybe it is better for Miami to face Clemson at the end of the year as opposed to the beginning. Additionally, we know Mario Cristobal is an offensive line guy. Oregon always had a good offensive line. He was the offensive line coach at Alabama. They had a good OL. Chris Ball is an offensive guy, offensive line guy. So what's the strength of Clemson? Their defense. What's the strength of the defense? The defensive line. It very well may be the best defensive line in the country this year. But maybe Miami's offensive line will be able to handle it enough by year's end. Maybe Mario Cristobal will be one of the few coaches in the ACC that will be well-prepared for that Clemson attack. Additionally, I think Miami's going to have a really good run game. I like both quarterbacks on NC State and Miami. People are talking about Miami's quarterback as a Heisman sleeper. And so if we get to the point here at the end of the year where he's in that Heisman conversation, that could be a tough test for Clemson. Maybe Van Dyke of Miami will be the toughest quarterback they face this year. Who knows? But additionally, I think Miami will have one of the better run games as well, which could help out their quarterback, which could be a reason why Van Dyke has potentially a really big year. So when it comes to this matchup with Clemson, again, maybe a strong offensive line to handle that defensive line and a run game, too, that could keep the ball in their possession a little bit longer, try to wear down that defense, find some space against that defense. Maybe this could be a tough matchup for that Clemson defense at the end of the year. Maybe they'll be a little bit more beaten up by then. Maybe a couple of guys won't be available by then. There's always injuries in a football season. And Miami will be tough in the trenches. Mario Cristobal's teams always are. They may not be the most talented defense, they may not always have the best quarterback, but you can always trust that if Mario Cristobal is your head coach, right, you'll be tough in the trenches. You'll have a run game, you'll have a good offensive line, you'll try to beat up the other team, and they take on the uh, persona of their head coach. Those are the pros I see for these two teams. Now, Brad Crawford, as I said in his bold predictions, thinks NC State wins. NC State is facing Clemson before Miami. If I had to make a choice and pick a team, maybe I would say NC State as well would be the team that could end that winning streak for Clemson. I don't know if any team will end it this year. I could see Clemson running the table at home just like they did last year. Right? Even when they weren't at their best last year, still much tougher to beat at home. So I don't know if any team's going to do it this year, but I do think the best chances will be NC State and Miami, and that's my breakdown of where I look at the pros, what each team may have going for them. For NC State, the advantage may be that it is earlier in the year. They have last year's game to go off of, and they just have more experience. Miami, it's a first-year coach. It's a, a young quarterback who is um, in just his second year of playing, did not play the entirety of last season. NC State's a little bit more experienced. 
more experienced coaching staff, more continuity, maybe that makes a difference in a big game like this against a team like Clemson. Those are definitely the two teams to watch, and you can make a pretty good case for both of them. Brad Crawford thinks NC State will be the one to snap the losing streak, which, by the way, would end it at, uh, what, 36 straight home wins for Clemson. When we come back, it's time for our taste test. You know, yesterday we did our movie review of Hustle. It was uh, a movie Monday on the Morrow Midday Show. Today we can call it a Taste Test Tuesday. We're going to try this new healthy alternative to Coca-Cola. It's uh, all the rage on TikTok. And you know we love our TikTok around here, so we have to do it. Sparkling water and balsamic vinegar. And we'll try it out next, let you know how it is. Healthy Coca-Cola. Our taste test coming up next. It's the Mar Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. It's time for our taste test here on this Tuesday as we'll try the uh, new healthy alternative to Coca-Cola. It's a sweeping the nation, this trend on TikTok. Good Morning America wrote about it. Thousands of curious creators on TikTok have uh, turned to two simple ingredients to taste, to get a taste of the latest viral trend, healthy Coke, as they call it. And it's... Uh, Sparkling water and balsamic vinaigrette. We have our drinks poured for us. Bobby is with us. Well, let me, can I point out a couple of things here? First, you don't have any kind of recipe. You <laughs> bought a flavored sparkling yeah, water. Which is what it's supposed to. It's supposed to be that flavor. That exact flavor. I got the same brand and okay. the same flavor. All right, all right. It originally started some woman on TikTok. She said her Pilates instructor told her. All right. My mother's a Pilates instructor. She's never told me about this. And uh, I didn't say a word. And <laughs> and I got the exact drink and the same, even the same brand for the, uh, the vinegar for the vinegar. So we are good to go. Right. So just like the original. Now a bunch of people have uh, tried to duplicate this video, and they've done other things. They've used like Pellegrino and uh, generic brands of lime seltzer. But we have the official. It's guava flavored. LaCroix, is that how you say it? LaCroix, yeah, or LaCroix, whatever you, oh, whatever okay, you want to do. Forgive me. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> oh, pardon. Uh, so, yeah, so we have the original recipe. Now, you brought up a fair um, point. We have no idea the ingredients in terms of how much you actually pour in of each. Right. But our bartender, Trent, uh, he eyeballed it, figured it out, and we'll give it a go. Everybody got a healthy pour of uh, balsamic vinegar. I will say that. Healthy pours all around. Okay. So it's a guava flavored. Uh, I have no desire in my vinegar. life to replace Coca Cola. By the way, <laughs> do you drink Coca Cola every day? Ah, uh, every day. So here, see, so I don't drink coffee in the morning. I drink Coca Cola in the morning. We're doing this to try to help you. Try to find a healthy alternative. And don't now have a couple of Crown and Cokes. <laughs> yes, of course. Wait, really? I didn't, I didn't realize yeah. that. I know that's a shock. <laughs> you want and to I, I consider myself a cola expert because. I, I don't like Pepsi. I can tell the difference between yeah, a Pepsi and a Coca-Cola any day of the week. Wow. I agree. Talent. What about you, are you into RC Cola at all? No. No. Uh, no. That just, was when I was young. Just strictly Coca-Cola. Yeah, you can you can definitely tell. Uh, yeah, you know, I have a Pepsi before I have an RC. Ah. And then that store-bought cola. Mm, yeah. yeah, like the store brand. Yeah. 
Sam, Sam. Sam. Sam's cola. Doctor. Which Thunder. I have a feeling this is going to be worse. I don't know. Than, than RC cola? I don't know. All right. Let's first uh, take a take a sniff before we take a sip. It smells. Mine smells strawberryish. Yeah, I'm yeah. getting that as well. Doesn't smell like Coke. It kind. Of, it looks like Coca Cola in the cup. It does look like Coca Cola. Doesn't smell like it at all. It's guava flavored and, and vinegar. Are we ready to to try it? I'm ready. All right. Well, I'll take a sip at the same time, and we'll get the authentic reactions. The healthy Coke. Oh. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> oh. oh no. Oh no. <laughs> Immediate reaction, Bobby. What do you think? Awful. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Again, we don't know if we have the mixture right. No. I, mine, mine tastes very vinegary. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah, I'm in that. I'm in that so. boat. I'm in that boat. Now, remember, Luke's got the Italian palate, so he's used to some, you know, vinegar every so often. So this might do. He might do better with this than you and I. It's not good. It tastes like vinegar. Ah, uh, smells like strawberry. Tastes like vinegar and also tastes like something else that I can't say on the radio. <laughs> on a scale of one to ten, what do you give it? Zero. Zero. I give it a two. Two? Oh, come on. Well, you would drink this? I mean, it's not It's not like I think if there was just plain seltzer and not the flavored seltzer with it, it would be absolutely abysmal. It would be like drinking straight uh, balsamic vinegar. But there's a little bit of the hint of strawberry. So, yeah, I'll give it. I'll give it. This is better than some, like, hard seltzer brands out there. I'll tell you that right now. Not good. No. I'm disappointed. I thought I was hoping. You know, I've, I've cut out soda for my life. I'm trying to cut down sugar. I thought I found my new healthy uh, Coca-Cola. Right. Yeah, I don't no. think so. Didn't work. We'll do some more research to find out. And we, we may have too much. I think we have too much vinegar in it. Potentially. That could definitely be it. That's but what I, brings the Coca-Cola flavor. But I saw I saw some videos, people doing it, where they poured way more vinegar than we did. And uh, they were they got a little sick after. Oh, jeez. Oh, boy. Well, good thing Bobby doesn't have to be on the air for another 90 minutes. Right. This is why I don't do Pilates, people. Yeah. You get bad advice from these people. <laughs> They're awful human beings. That's Drink a Coke. <laughs> Share a smile. Drink a Coke. Yeah, you ever seen the polar bears? They have a good time. They drink Cokes. Come yeah, on now, right. fellas. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, the whole idea was try to get Bobby off of uh, the Coca-Cola, but I guess that's that's not happening. Yeah. That's that well, I appreciate you at least giving it a try. Not as good as the Frosé, huh? Oh, Frosé was awesome. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. We'll get to Trump's no, no, we, 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 I don't have We had a little crown in there. We could do a, uh, you know. No, we that's the real test. Yeah. Somebody, That's yeah. a real jet. Somebody yeah. head to the Hartness State right now and grab a couple yeah. bottles. You got 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You got time. All right. We'll get to Trent Stakes when we come back. It's the Mormon Day Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers. Lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. But if you have a change of heart. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. We had our movie Monday yesterday, Breaking Down Hustle. Today was our Taste Test Tuesday, where we tried the new healthy alternative version of Coca-Cola. 
which is spreading like wildfire on TikTok. It is uh, guava sparkling water with a little balsamic vinegar mixed in there. And uh, we did it last segment with Bobby. If you ever missed anything from the show, find it on the Man Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. We'll get to Trent's takes in just a moment. But first, your take, uh, now a few minutes removed. Right. Looking back, how do you feel now after uh, having had that uh, healthy, quote-unquote, healthy Coke? I think uh, the reaction videos that I saw outside the one woman who uh, started it were probably fair uh, with it. It's not good, folks. It's not good. I wouldn't recommend it. Now, you said your uh, mother's a Pilates uh, teacher, so that's potentially, you know, like maybe she's tried this before. I'm not sure. I don't understand how this mixture of things can taste anything like a normal Coca-Cola. It, it baffles me because, truly, there is nothing like on a hot summer day. I don't really drink soda anymore. You crack open a can of Coke, like, there's nothing better than that. I agree. Like, I'm a beer drinker when it comes to, like, alcohol. But I'll tell you what, I almost prefer on a hot day, I almost prefer a cold soda over right. a cold beer. Yeah. So I'm with you there. When it's, when it's hot out, oh, yeah, good old cold Coca-Cola. This will not be replacing it. Now, this whole trend started uh, within, like, the last uh, 10 days. Amanda Jones was the first one. She first shared a video and said this was a low-sugar alternative to Coca-Cola. Oh, she says – I should have said this – saw this before. She says uh, only using a splash of balsamic vinegar. I think we used a little bit more (laughs) than a splash. I definitely – I did a (laughs) – you know, for you bartenders out there, I did a one, two, three type pour. So, there you go. I don't know if it would have made a difference, though. No. Um – and she said, uh, it's a healthy alternative to a Coke. Quote, I'm not joking you. It tastes just like a Coke. You're going to think I'm insane. I do think you're insane. That tastes nothing like Coca-Cola or any soda of its kind. Yeah, you're a mad person. Yeah, seriously. I have a regular Coke. By the way, um, TikTok star and self-proclaimed Diet Coke connoisseur, Tinks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know Tinks. She shared her spin on the carbonated drink. She said it smelled rancid. But she tried it for science. All right. Easy. (laughs) Easy. There's all sorts of uh, details in this article from Good Morning America, breaking down different people doing it. As I said, some use Pellegrino. Some use, like, different flavors. But the original one is the guava-flavored sparkling water and the balsamic vinegar that we used as well. I'm not going to – I know you said you saw some videos where people got sick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to get – I mean, Bobby may be throwing up in the back right now. (laughs) But I do, like, feel it, like, sitting in my, like, stomach. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't feel great. No. I I don't feel great right now, but I don't think it will get to that point. But I I don't want to put any, like, food in my system or anything because I feel like it's just going to come back. There's a lot lot of stuff going on in there right now. I feel like I need to be burped right now. (laughs) I I don't think I'm going to yak, but I need to cleanse my – I need a palate cleanser from this. You'd hit the sauna after this. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Sweat it out of your pores. The aftertaste was not great. Would I ever have it again? No. Was it the worst thing I've ever uh, had? Unfortunately, no. But um, it wasn't good. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't good. I would never drink it again. And it's certainly not some sort of realistic alternative to any sort of soda. Like like I said, like there's some hard seltzer brands out there, you know, because everybody's popping up with their own kind of hard seltzer. Some... Some of them taste so bad that I would prefer that over some of these hard seltzers. I'm also not a big guava guy. No? No. You a guava guy? I don't mind it. I think, I think it's a good flavor, but yeah. I wouldn't be like, you know what, I'm going to you know, go to Whole Foods, spend six bucks on one guava. Yeah, that, that just ain't my flow. But I, yeah. I enjoy a little. I'm a big LaCroix guy, as I told you, so I enjoy these. Yeah, I'm not big on the guava. Get yourself a nice uh, Uritos guava. Yeah, not really up my alley. All right, well, we did our taste test. I don't know if this will become a normal thing because I don't know how often I want to be trying nasty things on a Tuesday. 
Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what we could try uh, next down the road at some point. We do it around this time each and every day. Find out. Uh, it's time to find out what's on the mind of the producer. It's time for Trent's Takes. What's on the mind of the Morrow Midday Show producer? Draft Luke Morrow. That's Panthers. right. It's time for Trent's Takes. The Radio Cowboy will be coming, and he's coming soon, folks. Luke, before I get into Jason Tatum, uh, missing out on my 3-0 sweep would have been a 6-0 sweep in the last two games by a half a point. I would like to reiterate to you, sir, I need you to sit down. I need you to watch Peaky Blinders. <laughs> and my pitch to you is that there are multiple Italian characters in there that I think you would really, really enjoy. Obviously, the Shelby family is from Birmingham, and they have enemies in Ireland, in America, in Italy, sis, all these places, everywhere. And there are a couple characters in there that I think you either could relate with or pretty much enjoy because I'm about to wrap up the final season of Peaky Blinders. I might cry tonight. Who knows? Ooh. I might. There might be a, a tear or two because it is my favorite show of all time. Wow. It's absolutely incredible. See Season six did not disappoint, folks. You got to start Peaky Blinders because this is the last season. They'll release a movie in a couple months that'll kind of tie everything together, and that'll be it. And then the Shelby family will be off of Netflix probably in a year and a half, two years, folks. Get your Netflix subscriptions. Lock in on it. It's a phenomenal cast. Killian Murphy, in my opinion, Luke, might be a top five television character of all time. He is absolutely incredible as Tommy Shelby, the leader of of this, uh, you know, Birmingham street gang that turns into one of the biggest companies, organizations that the world knows back in, in the, between, it's between 1915 and 1940s that uh, they go through. It's, it's a very good show, Luke. I want you to hop on it because we're about to, the Warriors going to wrap this up next game. There's no doubt about it. Start grinding on the Peaky Miners. I need you, pal. I need you. You've piqued my interest. Yeah. IMDb has it as a 8.8 .8 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes has Peaky Blinders as uh, 94%. Oof. I've heard a lot of uh, rage about it with the new season coming out from a lot of people and buddies of mine. So we'll see. You're piquing my interest. Maybe I'll give it a try at some point. Uh, I'll add it to the list. Long list of things I have to uh, check out. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, it, sometimes it gets difficult to understand what they're saying, especially mm. especially Tom Hardy's character when he gets introduced as Alfie Solomon absolutely crushes it. But it's a star-studded cast. You look through, and there's uh, Oscar winners left and right in this TV show. It's unbelievable, Luke. Need you to watch it, pal. Now on to Game 5. Mm -hmm. Jason Tatum absolutely ripped my heart out last night. I didn't have I didn't take any of the points. I obviously been cheering for the Warriors because like you, I said they'd win in six games. Been cheering for the Warriors. I feel like the Warriors are like my second team. I'm a, I'm a diehard Miami Heat fan for life, but in my middle school to high school, like growing up and really truly sitting down and watching the NBA almost every night, it was the Warriors that was the dynasty of my era, if you will, when I was a younger kid. So I love the Warriors, and last night was a display of Steph Curry not being able to make any shots, but Klay Thompson and Andrew Wiggins stepping up when it matters most. That's how you know it's inexperience versus experience. That's it, the bottom line. I think the Boston Celtics team as a whole is a lot better than the Warriors if you just look at the roster and ages, especially because the Celtics are a little bit younger. We, I feel like we always forget that this team is one of the greatest dynasties the NBA has ever seen. I believe I saw something Draymond Green, Steph Curry, and Klay Thompson have now combined for the 
most finals wins in NBA history as a trio, which is incredibly phenomenal. I did not realize that they were on that path, but they have made it. They're here. It's uh, experience versus inexperience. Even with Steph Curry has a down night, guys like Jordan Poole, thank you for hitting the over 12 and a half. And guys like, you know, Andrew Wiggins, like we saw, they just step up. Also, thank you to Al Horford for hitting two threes. Did it pretty early, too. The stroke looked good from Al. Again, but I'm cheering for the Warriors. What a great night. But I hate to keep harping on Jason Tatum here. And, you you know, you do it. I do it. We all do it. I just, I'm not, I see what you see, Luke. I'm not seeing a superstar here. I'm seeing a guy who folds under pressure, who's not aggressive. His body, he should be able to one-on, if he's one-on-one isolation with anybody, Luke, especially his shooting ability, he should be able to make, you know, 50% of his shots. There's no doubt about it. He's six foot nine. He's got the small waist, but the broad shoulders. That's what you want for a modern day NBA player. He's just not stepping up. So he's obviously going to get signed to a max deal in Boston. They're going to love him forever, but I'm not sure if Jason Tatum is the guy going forward for Boston to win you a championship, maybe with more experience down the road. But again, he folds just like you were saying with Kobe. Kobe never folded in those big moments. Jason Tatum had three air balls last night. I mean, how, how can you say that this guy's a superstar when we've seen the playoff performance week in and week out? And also I saw this morning, people were talking about Steph Curry, not winning the finals MVP because of this game. Give it, give it a rest. I mean, what are we doing? We're talking about legacy with a guy who's about to win his fourth championship greatest shooter of all times broke every three-point record there is known to man and we're talking about him in a light well well he doesn't have finals mvp so we can't put him on the pantheon we can't put him in the top 10 absolutely ridiculous he's gonna win the finals mvp and he sneaks in he definitely is in my top 10 now but it's gonna be hard to not chisel another mount rushmore head with steph curry on there after this fourth championship yeah i i agree i think um if wiggins play the entire series like he has the last two games we could have an interesting debate about Wiggins or Curry. Mm. But otherwise, Curry is the MVP. He's been the best player in this series. He was bad last night. I don't think he'll be that bad in the next game. And I think you're allowed one bad game. And I think back to the aforementioned Kobe Bryant. In, uh, I think it was 2010, he won the finals MVP. He was terrible in game seven. Ron Artest saved the day. But he still was the finals MVP because he was the best player for the entirety of the series, even with one bad performance. So I think it's similar for Curry. I think Curry will play better in game six, and you'll say, yeah, he wasn't very good in game five. Wiggins was better. But over the entirety of the series, Curry's the guy. So Curry, to me, is still the finals MVP. I don't think he needed that to try to prove himself, but maybe that's uh, that last box to check that the doubt, you know, what more can the Curry haters say at this point if he wins the finals MVP this week when they finish off another series? I feel like the Curry haters are always going to be out there, but He's gotten a lot, in my eyes at least, he's gotten a lot more likable. Obviously, he was the darling, the golden boy. His daughter would be at the press conferences. It was so cute and everything. It was Steph Curry. You know, he's the baby-faced assassin. Now we see fire out of Steph. I know not uh, in Game 5, but if you look at 1 through 4, he's fiery. He's ready to go. He's screaming. He's yelling at his teammates. This is the th- That's the heart of a champion right there. That's guys we think about with Michael Jordan and Kobe and LeBron, where they're so fiery just to win. And I think we're going to see that with Steph. I'm really sick of the slander because, I mean, he's one of the greatest of all time, and there is no doubt about it whatsoever. Luke, I have maybe some news, maybe oh. some breaking news oh. potentially. I did a little research this morning because I was curious about our friend Odell Beckham Jr. I love Odell. I think he's one of the best receivers in the NFL when he's healthy there's no doubt we saw that last season he you know scored the first touchdown in the Super Bowl was probably going to be the Super Bowl MVP if he would have stayed in that game healthy because they were double teaming Cooper Cup all day long now yesterday 
Joe Burrow posted on his Instagram and said, and I quote, my spidey senses are starting to tingle a little bit, okay? With the eyeball emoji. Mm -hmm. Let's remember that. The eyeball emoji is very, very important. Jamar Chase then commented on the post with the emoji with the finger over the mouth, implying that, hey, keep a secret. Let's keep it down. And you know who commented on that post? None other than Odell Beckham Jr. and said, you are the one. End quote. Is Odell Beckham going to be a Cincinnati Bengal, Luke? Can they get him on the roster? Because we know they don't like spending money. They've spent money on free agents before. But think about that roster with Jamar Chase, LSU. Joe Burrow, LSU. Uh, The left tackle is from LSU. And now adding Odell Beckham, a full LSU staff. Could this happen, Luke? And do you think he could make an impact on that Bengals offense if he was a receiver? Because right now, I mean, you got to think, what would Odell be? Jamar is obviously the one. T. Higgins probably the two, and then Odell would be the three with Tyler Boyd, kind of a three and four. He would be the third, you know, option on the team. But still, I mean, adding a guy like that, if he's healthy, Bengals are going on another run, it feels like. Yeah, it would be a lot like what he was doing with the Rams. Yeah. He would, You know, you have your Cooper Cup. You don't need OBJ to be the star. And this goes back to, again, the whole Wiggins thing from earlier today where if a guy isn't asked to do as much, they could flourish even more. And OBJ did in L.A. He looked a little washed before he got to the Rams and then played big for the Rams. And the other thing, too, of course, is Zach Taylor comes from the McVay coaching tree. So similar offense style, similar role. It'd be a good fit. Obviously, another weapon for Joe Burrow and that intriguing offense in Cincinnati. They have the 11th most cap space. I think that'd probably be a good match. And this is fascinating. I'm curious what they were talking about. And this, if this does come to fruition, I want everybody, I want the Shefters of the world, everybody to credit Trent of the Morrow Midday Show for having it first, cracking the case on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, that's just investigative reporting, Luke. That's just what you got to do for Trent's takes. I try to find the dirt, try to find the glue, you know what I'm saying, see what's going on. And I'm a big Odell Beckham fan and kind of a big Bengals fan, too, now with this team. I absolutely love watching them play, so I'd like to see them continue to have success, especially with a quarterback like Joe Burrow. Last thing here, U.S. Open coming up this weekend. A lot of controversy, obviously, with the live golf and everything. Personally, I'm kind of sick of hearing about it, but I'll throw out two numbers for you, Luke. Plus 4,400 and plus 22,000. Dustin Johnson plus 4,400 and Phil Mickelson plus (laughs) 22,000. All I'm saying, folks, this would be a phenomenal weekend if one of the Live Golf guys came into the U.S. Open and won the whole damn thing. I would personally say that it would be Dustin Johnson. That plus 4,400 does not look bad whatsoever. I'm going to be cheering for these guys. I'm cheering everybody out there, no doubt about it. But I hope there is fireworks for the next, you know, six days that we're going to get this because the media availability starts tomorrow. Uh First press conference, Phil Mickelson. Here we go, folks. I'm so pumped. So pumped. Yeah, this could be a lot of fun. Uh, It's like um, way back in the day, you used to take uh, like the national champion or um, even like the champion of the NFL, right? You'd have two champions of two different leagues face one another way back when instead of like all-star games it's gonna be similar here i know these guys were just part of the pga tour they've been playing with one another for years but yeah they're they're looking like uh you know they're the um they crossed the picket line almost like back with the replacement players and now they're all coming together for a big event this weekend uh on the opposite sides of the aisle we've had a little bit of a sparring of words a little bit from some of the guys not happy with those that have left by the way did you see mickelson's press conference yesterday yeah hear any of the audio I, i heard some of it yeah i mean he's just not doing himself any favors no, and I was always a Mickelson guy, and even, look, I've defended these guys a little bit in terms of taking the money. It's hard to turn down this amount of money. But still, Mickelson, whenever 
he's opened his mouth the last few months. He's just uh, put his foot in it. And I saw, heard some of the audio from yesterday, and I didn't really like it. Uh, I mean, a woman was asking about uh, 9-11, and he cut her off. And so, like, is there a question in this? I know she's going on and on, and Mickelson probably doesn't like what she's insinuating, but we're talking about September 11th, and I don't know. I just thought it was kind of insensitive. He uh, was talking about, I'm empathetic towards those, but, you know, uh, but we're trying to help the golf game. Eh. I didn't really like some of the things Mickelson said yesterday. And I used to be a Mickelson guy. Yeah, the hefty lefty. I yeah. mean, I loved, I loved Phil Mickelson back in the day, but now it's – I mean, look, and I've always been on the side of I'm not going to harp on any of these guys for wanting to go get money. I, I mean, go make as much money as you can. Play, can't play the game forever, especially in the NFL. I always say that. Go get as much money as you can because you can't play forever. But now with Phil, it's like maybe just don't answer or say no comment or something or just admit that, yeah, they gave me $200 million. I'd be a fool, a fool if I didn't take that. And – a lot of people in the PGA, if, if they looked at Rory McIlroy, and I know he's got the allegiance to the PGA, and he's been really, you know, digging on the live golf guys, they give you $500 million, what are you going to do if you can still play in the majors? Like, that, that's my thing on this. Yeah, I just don't like uh, – we all know what it is. Right. I just wish these guys would sit up there and, and yeah, just simply say that. Phil Mickelson could say, like, hey, September 11th was an awful tragedy. Um, I don't like the role they played, yada, yada, yada. But they paid me $200 million, and that's what it comes down to. Just be, like, up front instead of uh, trying to take us all for fools. I think it makes yourself look worse. Anyways, we'll talk more about that, of course, tomorrow with Jeremy Schilling, who joins us every Wednesday to talk golf. When we come back, a Charlotte Hornet was uh, caught, uh, I guess you could say, riding dirty yesterday. We'll get to that. It's the more Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. We'll get to uh, back to the NBA Finals coming up at the top of the hour. But did you see the story that Montrez Harrell of the uh, Hornets, although I think he's a free agent this offseason. I don't know if he's technically a free agent yet. We have to wait till the offseason officially begins after the finals, but uh, I believe he's going to be a free agent. He, uh, he just got uh, busted. He got arrested for um, having three pounds of weed in vacuum-sealed bags in his car. Now, because they're vacuum-sealed, I guess that's the idea is that uh, one person driving around with three pounds in vacuum-sealed bags, the idea is that, um, you know, it's to be delivered, intent to deliver. Uh, and so that's why the they slap like a almost like a trafficking uh, violation, and it becomes like a felony. He could face up to five years. But the the my main takeaway is being number one, he's made thirty five mil in his NBA career. I would hope he's not involved in some sort of uh, like uh, drug sales because that's not worth it. That's not necessary. He's made thirty five million. But number two, he got pulled over because he was tailgating somebody. And then they found the weed in the car. That has to be the weakest offense, the weakest thing to get pulled over for. And I'm saying this from Harold's perspective, not from the cops for pulling him over. What are you doing? If you got three pounds of weed in the car, what are you doing tailgating somebody? I guess he was in a rush to maybe unload it. I don't know. Don't drive on someone's ass when you got weed in the car like that and give them a reason to pull you over. They pull him over for tailgating. They find oh, all the marijuana, and he gets arrested yesterday. What are you doing? 
you got to keep that uh, the three second rule. Now you got to keep enough space. Tailgating somebody. That's why you got pulled over. At least be speeding. Right? At least give them a good reason to pull you over. Tailgating. We'll see what happens with Harold here moving forward. Hour three coming up next. We'll get back to the NBA Finals. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Midday show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, you can always find it on demand. Just search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. And the podcasts are also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. While there, you can get in touch with the show. Head over to charlestonsportsradio.com, click on our show page, and leave a comment for the show. You can also Get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays. Text the show, 843-608-1734. Or join the conversation on the phones as well, 843-721-9500. Hey, our 2022 Summer Golf Tour continues. Stay tuned as the latest round of foursomes become available next Monday at 8 a.m. be the Rivertown Country Club going on sale the foursomes for 98.9 next Monday starting at 8 a.m. So set the alarm, mark the calendar and be ready to go right at 8 a.m. because these foursomes go quick. Head over to charlestonsportsradio.com Get your foursome there Monday at 8 a.m. for 98.9. As we head to the second half of our 2022 Summer Golf Tour. We're already halfway through summer, at least the golf tour. It is warm again out there today. And let me tell you, I got a little bit of an AC issue in the car right now. I got to get it fixed, so I've been driving with the windows down. You get no break. The air is hot, too. It's 97 degrees out there. Hot air. Whew. You a big windows down guy just in uh, just in general? Uh, yeah, on a nice day. Okay. Crank yeah. windows down, music up, arm out the window. Oh, yeah. Cruising <laughs> oh, along. Summer of 1995. <laughs> So, yeah, I like uh, windows down. But sometimes, like really this week, it's too hot that you need to keep the windows up and be cranking the AC. Yeah. Now, you have uh, like an open air right. vehicle. Yeah, this is the time of year where like my back windows, they're zip-on windows, and I keep them off the entire summer. Yeah. Just cause, I mean, I, I would much rather have those off, and it's so much – it's a pain, a little inside baseball here, but those windows are the worst part of getting the actual top all oh, the yeah. way down. It's, it's easy to get – it's heavy, but it's easy to get it down. It's these dang windows, Luke, that they, they drive me up the wall, so I just take them off for the summer and then put them back on in like September, October. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, when there's like a nice breeze, like maybe at night sometimes. Yeah, that's great. Driving around with a nice breeze blowing around. But man, when it's when it's this hot, like even the air is hot, that you get no relief. 
I don't know what it's like for you, but for, I got the windows. It's still hot. The hot air is coming in the car. I'm thinking, man, this is brutal. Yeah, well, I usually put the windows down. Uh, just I think it looks weird if I got the back two windows True. and then there's windows up. So I usually I usually put them down, potentially have a tad bit of AC going just to, you know, cool me down a tad. Yeah. But, yeah, I usually I'm windows down guy. You know, I like to oh, feel yeah. the earth. What's going right. on while I'm driving That's around. That's right. You take the doors off? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, you ever do that? That's a that's a whole other process with oh, the sure. uh, because it's an older uh, Wrangler, so uh-huh. like it's not these new ones. Like it's just a switch, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. and they're lighter doors as yeah. well. My doors, you know, are about eighty five pounds. Like they're they're very heavy. And living in an apartment, I have nowhere to store that's these true. things. That's I'd have to walk point. them up a couple flights of stairs to get them around. So that's I true. used to do that, but uh, not anymore. Yeah, because I see the guys driving around and they get their foot out of the side of the yeah. Jeep. Eh, I don't know. It's it, it is it's a look. There's no yeah. doubt. Oh, in high school, yeah, absolutely. Those doors were coming <laughs> off. Are you kidding me? The doors could come off. That's fine. But the guys cruising around, like the leg hanging out, like yeah. Oh, to me, it's a little like too too cool. It's a weird feeling. Cool. I, I will say, it's a I'm weird sure. it's a weird feeling. And uh, sometimes, like, because you, you have to put your own mirrors on once you take uh, the door yeah. off. And yeah. I've forgotten to put mirrors on before, so I'm looking, being like, well, <laughs> I can't see anything, so <laughs> I'm just gonna stay straight here, folks. I remember uh, one of our cousins growing up. When we were really young, had a Jeep, and I thought it was like the coolest thing. Uh, but I've never gotten one. But uh, they're cool. They're cool vehicles to have, especially when you pop those doors off and the windows in a nice summer. Drive around. Yeah, I mean, it's the picture-perfect beach car if you're a beach oh, goer. Oh, sure. Like, yeah. you go out there, and it's it's a good time. Now, parking that bad boy is a completely different animal. Yeah. That's why I walk everywhere. I walk because <laughs> I'm not parallel parking that thing in front on King Street. Are you kidding me? Oh, that's true. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> Plus, nowadays, I'm sure the gas mileage, too, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, we get about 12 and a half, 13 a gal. Uh, so, you know, that's a difficult. Yeah. Throw a bike in the back. <laughs> Hop on the bike every once in a while. Still got a lamp back there that I need to sell. <laughs> there you go. Now you're talking. Nobody's bought Plug it Plug the lamp in, driving around with the lamp in the back, arm out the window. Now you're Woo. the cool kid. Absolutely. Back in the high school days, show up with a lamp in the back. There you go. Uh, NBA Finals, uh, the Warriors, uh, I think in all intents, for all intents and purposes, I think the Warriors won the series last night by winning that game. We know the numbers. You win game five, two, two series, you win almost 75% of the time. But additionally, just what we've seen from these last two games, I don't think the Celtics can bounce back. And even if Boston wins game six at home, and that's not a given because the Celtics have not been as good at home. But even if they were to win game six at home, I don't think they can go back game seven on the road, everything on the line, and beat that Golden State team. The experience the Warriors have, the job the Warriors have done outside of game one in the fourth quarter compared to Boston, especially of late. And now if you get Wiggins going like he's played these last couple of games, and I have no reason to believe that's suddenly going to stop, makes Golden State all that much tougher. And Andrew Wiggins was the big star last night. And earlier I compared it to like that number two wide receiver where some teams think he's a number one. And they give him a lot of money. He's really good as a two somewhere. So you pay him to come be your star. You figure he's ready to take that step forward. And it turns out, actually, he's a little bit better when he's not the focus, the focal part of the offense. Wiggins, I think, is the same way. In Minnesota, like he played for four different coaches. When you come in as the number one pick, you just come in with that pressure of trying to be the savior. Now he's in Golden State where you have a good coach in Kerr, you have a good roster around you, good culture, and you don't have to be the guy. And there's also not pressure. You already viewed as a bust, right? They traded for you two years ago. The Timberwolves gave up on you. It was kind of like a last-ditch effort, and you'd come be a role player for Golden State. It takes the load off your shoulders a little bit. 
You don't have to be the guy anymore. The entire organization's not depending on you. Just like for these wide receivers. Some guys do better as that number two when the entire offense isn't dependent on them. Then you try to make them a star, and either they don't have the ability or they don't have the, maybe it's even mental, that the offense is relying on them and they just can't get it done. They're better served as that, that Robin, if you will. We always use that phrase, Batman and Robin. You know, better off is the Robin compared to a Batman. I think the same idea with Wiggins. I also think the Warriors are just really good at developing players. We've seen that throughout this dynastic run. And also, I would say, there's something, too, I do believe there's something, too, being a, gen- a second-generation talent. And when you look at Golden State, I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, this great dynasty is being led by Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, who their fathers played in the league. And now this second version is really helped out by Gary Payton the second, whose father, of course, was a great player, and Andrew Wiggins' father played in the NBA. And then you have a head coach in Steve Kerr, who also played in the NBA and now is coaching. And if you look at the flip side, right, Ime Odoka played in the NBA, now is also coaching in the finals. That's a big advantage, too, for a coach. So you have a coach who played in the league. You have four guys who father their fathers played in the league. So not only do you get the athletic traits you would assume passed down to you, but also just hanging around, being around the game, being in the locker room, being at these big games growing up, being on the floor, just training with your father, shooting hoops all the time. Just being around the game, I think, is huge. You know, Kobe Bryant was another one. I'll talk more about him in a moment. But Kobe, of course, his father played in the NBA. He was around it growing up. If you look at every sport, look at some of the second generational talents. The best quarterback we have right now is probably Patrick Mahomes. And while his father didn't play in the NFL, his father did play in Major League Baseball. We had Bobby V on the show two years ago telling stories about little Patrick Mahomes running around the clubhouse in New York. You're around professional athletes. You know what it's like. In fact, remember back to, I think it was this past postseason, maybe it was two years ago, we talked about on the show where Mahomes wore uh, one of those little, uh, like uh, the bracelets or whatever that judges, it, it reads your heart uh, rate and everything. And I remember talking about it on the show because Mahomes, his heart rate was lower when he was on the field than when he was on the sidelines. And it may seem backwards, but I, I said at the time, yeah, of course, because he's more comfortable with the ball in his hands than when he's, when he's on the sideline and all you can do is watch and watch your defense hopefully get a stop as opposed to when you're the quarterback and you're controlling everything. So Mahomes is very calm out there. Why? I, don't, I think part of it's because he's been around it his whole life. Grew up in Major League Baseball dugouts. Father played in the big leagues. Right? When he didn't pitch well enough, he was out of a job. There's a lot of pressure in all that. You, you, just, you deal with it. You live with it. You experience it. You're raised as an athlete. You handle the same things. Bill Belichick. Right, he's the greatest coach we've ever had. His father was a coach. His father was also a scout. His father is also believed to be very, um, uh, like, ahead of his time, very smart guy. So, too, is Bill Belichick. Right, both very smart, creative, unique. Peyton Manning, right, incredibly intelligent quarterback. His father, of course, played in the NFL. Andrew Luck's father played in the NFL. He was another big-time quarterback, very smart. In baseball, the home run leader, whether you like it or not, Barry Bonds, right? Father played in the big leagues, of course. Now you have Vladimir, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and guys like Fernando Tatis and Cody Bellinger, some of the stars of baseball whose fathers played in the, uh, in the game, and they grew up around clubhouses and on the field and at games and getting to know athletes. Richard Petty has won more Daytona 500s than anyone. Floyd Mayweather Jr. is one of the best boxers we've had. His father was a professional. And I could take it back to my industry as well with Joe Buck. Now, Right. Is there a little nepotism for Buck being in the uh, broadcast booth two years out of college? Sure, but he could also he was also doing Super Bowls 
and uh, World Series when he was uh, in his mid-20s and was ready for the moment because he grew up in a broadcast booth. Grew up listening to his father, traveled on the road with his father, was in a booth for a World Series before, even if he wasn't broadcasting. You still learn through osmosis. And I look back at this Warriors team, and I don't think it's a coincidence that they're as good as they are, and they have all the second-generational talent. The Celtics, at times, seems like the spot's too big for them. For the Warriors, that was never the case. Curry and Clay in their first NBA Finals years back. Andrew Wiggins playing in the biggest games of his career. He's been better than ever. Gary Payton even has played well in the playoffs when not injured. Now, these guys are ready for the big moment. Celtics, maybe not so much. And that takes me to the Celtics star with Jason Tatum. Because I said this earlier to begin the afternoon. But we know Tatum, right? He's, he's talked about it. He's tried to be about it. His favorite player is Kobe Bryant. He wants to be like Kobe. He wanted to play for the Lakers. He's been dressing like Kobe in the NBA Finals. He wore the Kobe armband. He texted Kobe's old number before game one. His Instagram photo is him replicating a photo of Kobe Bryant laying on a basketball. He's a big Kobe Bryant guy. I can appreciate it. But the difference is Kobe was relentless. Jason Tatum is not. And if you want to take it even further and look at Kobe, Kobe was a big Michael Jordan guy. And Kobe tried to emulate Jordan. And I could see a little bit of that comparison, certainly, right? Similar styles, both tough on their teammates, uh, even just tough, uh, kind of a pain. Like if you didn't like him, you kind of hated him. Uh, killer instinct at times. Both wanted, at least wanted the basketball, wanted to be the guy. Right? Jordan was tough to get along with. Shaq and Kobe couldn't get it along with one another. Both played in the triangle. Both coached by Phil Jackson. When you watch their game, you could see some similarities. Kobe didn't have the maybe athleticism like a Jordan that he could float in the air necessarily, although he did also dunk from the foul line in a dunk contest. Right, a lot of similarities between the two. I don't see those similarities when I see Jason Tatum, who wants to be like Kobe. Because the biggest difference is that Tatum disappears when they need him most. His field goal percentage drops every quarter all the way down to 24% in the fourth. He has already set the record for most turnovers in the playoffs. And last night, he even attempted a shot for the first 10 minutes. He had to be benched in the first quarter. And in the fourth quarter, when they needed him most, he had more air balls than made shots. The Celtics were the second worst team this year in clutch moments. It's not some sort of coincidence or bad luck. It's because their star isn't good in clutch moments. And you go the way of your star. And if your star is not big, in big moments, the team won't be either. They're going to struggle. Steph Curry was not good in the fourth quarter of Game 1 and Game 3 for the Warriors. Why the Warriors, as a team, were not very good in Game 1 and Game 3. Curry wasn't great last night either, but Wiggins stepped up. You need somebody in that fourth quarter to carry the load. Jason Tatum, what has he done in the fourth quarter at all this series? He disappears in the fourth quarter. That's when you need to be your best. And since Kobe Bryant first entered the league, nobody has more fourth quarters in which they scored over 20 points than Kobe. Statistically, in his era since he's been in the league, or since he was originally in the league, Kobe, best fourth quarter player statistically that we've had. Jason Tatum, nowhere close. And last night was the chance because you don't have Steph Curry playing well. You're looking for a star. The Warriors left the door open. The Celtics took a lead in the second half. And Tatum still couldn't be the star that Boston needed. A lot of times, the best player on the floor wins. Usually, it's been Curry this series. Last night, it could have been Tatum. Instead, it wasn't Curry or Tatum. It was Andrew Wiggins stepping up. And a lot of people may come to the defense of Tatum and say, right, he's too young. He's only 24. It's his first NBA Finals. Let's cut him some slack. Give him a little time. But Giannis last year won his first finals appearance. 
Jordan won his first, never lost the finals. And if you say, well, those guys were older, all right. Well, Magic Johnson won his first finals appearance. He was 20 years old, even had to play center in game six and posted a double-double. Larry Bird won his first finals when he was 21, almost posted a triple-double throughout the series. Dwayne Wade won his first finals. He was 24. Like Tatum, he was the MVP and averaged 35 points a game. Kobe Bryant won his first finals when he was 21. By the time he was Tatum's age, he already had three rings. If you want to be like Kobe, right, you're far off the pace, and the big reason why is because here's your best chance in the championship for the first time, a chance to go win a ring, and in the fourth quarter, last night Tatum was one for five. Season on the line. Game Prior to that, game four, a chance to put the series away. He took one shot in the last seven minutes. Had two baskets in the second half. Not good enough from your star player. I can appreciate Tatum's love for Kobe Bryant and how he wants to be like Kobe, but he's missing the most important part, just that relentless nature, the killer instinct. Kobe, he may not have been at his best, but he at least wanted to go out swinging, right? He wanted the ball in his hands. Tatum will shy away from the basketball. He made uh, two baskets in the second half of game four, one basket in the fourth quarter last night. If I'm going to go down, I want to go down with my best players. I I want my starter at least try. I want Jordan to miss the shot. Or at least make the smart basketball play in that last possession. Because a lot of detractors will say, well, you know, Paxson made the shot, Kerr made the shot. Well, because Jordan's double teamed and he passes it to the open man. But I want the ball in Tatum's hands, and I want him making the plays. And he hasn't done it enough in the fourth quarter. Why are the Celtics the second worst team in the league in clutch moments? Because their star's not good. And that's the big difference. Kobe didn't always make the shot. He didn't always win the game, but you knew the ball was going to be in his hands. He was going to try to make a play, and a lot of times he'd come through for you. Tatum has not come through for the Celtics enough in the fourth quarter. Even if Boston finds a way to win game six, like they haven't been that great at home, so it's not some sort of given. Maybe they just, they're a young team. Maybe they quit. I don't know. Even if they win game six, I would find it very hard to believe that they could go back to Golden State and win game seven with the season on the line. I think last night was the series, and I think it was disappointing that Tatum did not score in the first 10 minutes of the game, had to be benched, and then had one basket in the fourth quarter when they needed him most. And for Golden State to win without Steph Curry is big time. And it speaks to the uh, performance from Andrew Wiggins. When uh, we come back, we'll get to some of the storylines from the NBA Finals and how impactful those things have actually been. And we'll do that next. More Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Hoping you get into me. I am so into you. I can't think of nothing else. I am so into you. I can't think of nothing else. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. We'll play a little buy, sell, or hold with some storylines of the NBA Finals with uh, the Finals potentially having one game left. We'll see if the Celtics can extend the series with Game 6 coming up on Thursday. By the way, I didn't see this until after we got off the air yesterday. Draymond Green's own mother kind of took a shot at him on Twitter. Yeah, she uh, she tweeted out like, "Stop tweeting me. I know I don't I don't recognize that boy." Now she ended <laughs> up saying it was hilarious, hilarious move by Draymond's mom. But she ended up saying she was joking, obviously. But 
Yeah, she went because so many people were attacking her, being like, you know, what's going on with Draymond? He stinks and all this. And she just said, I don't recognize him. Don't don't ask me about him. I don't know who that is out there. Yeah, I find I found the tweet. I just tried to look it up, and I saw she deleted it. Uh, but somebody, of course, right? You screenshot or whatever. Yeah, people, please, people, stop asking me what's wrong with Draymond. I don't know. Maybe this is a clone. Where is the Draymond that helped get us here? I have never seen this either. That's at least one of the tweets from Mary. Mary Green. Yeah, and then people got her on radio and stuff. Oh, really? She, yeah, she was apologizing and the whole thing. If uh, Draymond gets any of his personality from her, I'm sure she's quite the character <laughs> to have on the air. But I was thinking about this. I don't know. What do you think? Is that is that out of bounds as like a mother? Do you always have to have your kids back, or can you be uh, critical uh, of your own kid in a public forum like that? I'm kind of the mind that whatever you know, mom says kind of goes. And so if she's critiquing, she's critiquing. That's it. I mean, I got I got to play better. And Draymond did play better in the next game after she tweeted that. But uh, I don't know, maybe. But she seems like a character. So like you yeah. said, so I, I'd be I'd be all right with this. Phil's my mom. Hey, again, whatever mom says, it's like all right. Guess what? Guess we're doing. What is dad? I always say go ask your mom i don't know like <laughs> come on yeah i mean you know they say mother knows best so uh she obviously she she got him going last night <laughs> i think though i don't know i think for the parent i think you have to kind of do the opposite of the public i guess now most parents their kids probably aren't in the spotlight like a draymond <laughs> green but i think like when your kid is being built up you got to keep them humble you knock them down mm. and then the opposite when everyone's burying your child that's when you come in as the mother or father, you come in as the parent, and that's when you give a little extra love to your kid to build them back up. So I think you have to do kind of the opposite of everybody else. That's kind of like uh, we've heard stories about LeBron's mom. You know, I mean, he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he's 16 years old. His ego could have definitely got in the way and got quick, but she was, she was on it. You, uh -huh. you know, she was she was at every meeting that he did. I mean, she was locked in on him. So yeah, I mean, they play a very important role. I'm, I'm assuming course, yeah. in the egos. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine. See, I think that's I think that's important. I think that's how you have to go. You got to go the opposite of whatever like everybody else's. You got to keep uh, your kids grounded, but you also sometimes you got to you got to build them up a little bit. You got to build that ego sometimes when things aren't going well. Sometimes you even won't like listen to your, really to your significant other if they're giving you critiques or something like that. But if mom comes over the top and says you're doing something, it's like all right, I got to change. Oh, yeah. I got to change. Got to listen to moms <laughs> once she says it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, your friends may tell you, significant other, whatever, but when the mother comes and tells you you got to do something, okay, yes, yes, ma'am. Strap in. Change. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's play a little uh, buy, sell, or hold with some of the bigger storylines in the NBA Finals now that we're uh, uh, just about wrapping this whole thing up. I'll let you know if I'm buying, selling, or holding these ideas. Things that we heard going into the series or throughout the series or just how things have played out, such as, number one, the Celtics' inexperience being an issue they now trailed in the series 3-2 is it because of the celtics finals inexperience Buy, sell, or i'm gonna sell that idea actually i do think it's an advantage that the warriors have played so many games in the finals compared to the celtics but i don't think that's the reason why this series has gone the way it has i think it just simply comes down to a little bit of what i spoke about last segment where jason tatum's just not he hasn't been a big time player in the fourth quarter and you go the way of your star regardless of inexperience in the finals or not. The Celtics this year were the second-worst team in clutch moments. Golden State was towards the top of the league. Uh, so whether it's in the finals, the regular season, October, June, January, whatever, the, they just have never been good in these fourth-quarter situations or in the second half of games even. So I don't think – and the Warriors are the best third-quarter team in the league even in the regular season. So I don't think it's 
we're watching this series and thinking like, yeah, it's just because the Warriors have been here before. It's the inexperienced. I don't think so. Look, Wiggins was the star last night. Uh, how many finals games did he play in before this year? So I don't think it's about the Celtics inexperience. I just think the Warriors are better prepared in those moments. I don't know if that's coaching. I don't know if it's the youth, just general inexperience, uh, the youthfulness of the Celtics. I think it's really that you, the Celtics don't have that star to put the team on the back. They don't have that uh, alpha uh, in the final minutes of a game to carry them to a victory. Steph Curry usually can be that guy. He wasn't last night. It's okay. Wiggins stepped up. The Warriors have had multiple guys. And when the Celtics did play their best game one, right, it was because an Al Horford stepped up. But that was such an outlier, you can't rely on that. See, that's been the issue with the Celtics. They're hoping all these other guys, because Tatum's been non-existent in the fourth quarter. So they're hoping every night some other role player is going to step up. But that's, there's a reason why they're role players, because they can't do it. You may get a Horford performance once a series. You may get a Jalen Brown, right, big-time performance carrying the team once a series. But it's hard to rely on that every night. That's why you're a star, to be the star. And Tatum has not been that guy. So I think this does this has less to do with, you know, oh, the Celtics, they've never been in the finals before, and more to do with just the fact that they're a good team. I don't think they have that alpha to carry them down the stretch. Number two, uh, the Warriors need Steph Curry in order to win these big games. Buy, sell, or I would have bought it 24 hours ago. We can obviously sell that now after last night. That's what surprised me most for Golden State. Two things about that win last night. Number one, that Curry was as bad as he was, and they still won by double digits. And number two, that when you remove Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole, and maybe that's a big if, right? You're taking away two of their better shooters. But outside of those two guys, the rest of the team was one for 23 from three-point range. So they didn't use a barrage of threes to kill you, and they didn't use their star player either. And they still won by double digits in the NBA Finals. So yesterday I would have told you, that, oh, yeah, right, if Curry doesn't play well, the Warriors can't win that game. But I was pleasantly surprised last night by the performance of Wiggins. Klay Thompson made some big shots. Uh, Draymond Green was better. Uh, Poole, you know, made some big shots. Peyton played uh, really well. Right, You got other guys that stepped up. And now that makes the Warriors very tough, that if they can still beat you without Steph Curry playing his best, I imagine Curry's not going to play like that again last night, which is why that was such a missed opportunity for Boston, that Steph Curry was so bad series on the line you still couldn't win so point being i'm selling on this now i would have uh, bought it yesterday but no the warriors can win evidently without steph curry which takes me to the next one does steph curry need a finals mvp to validate his career Buy, sell, yeah i would sell this i would have sold it before the series as well but i think we've seen enough from steph curry in this nba finals that even if he's not given the award and he should be but even so, if you want to give it to a Wiggins, anybody else, I don't think it matters. We've seen enough. Steph Curry was the leading scorer in the finals last time he was there a couple years ago when Durant and Clay were both injured and it was on Curry's shoulders. And uh, he averaged 30 points a game in that series against a good defensive Raptors team. In this series, he's averaging over 30 points. So that's his last two NBA finals. He's averaging 30 per game. And he's doing it this year against the number one defense. The last guy to average over 30 points in the NBA Finals against the number one defense was Jerry West 52 years ago. So what Curry's doing has been impressive. I think you're allowed one bad game. He had a bad game last night. Uh, I think he's uh, going to be the MVP anyways. But even so, I think we've seen enough that even if they just said, you know what, this year we're not going to give an MVP. Or for some reason they, they like the story of Wiggins better, they give it to him uh, down the road. 
I think it'd be silly for people to point to the fact that Steph Curry has not had a finals MVP. He's been the best player in this series. He's been big time the last two NBA finals when Durant hasn't had to lead the way. Uh, Curry has certainly done, done enough to prove himself even before this year. But he's been big in this finals. He's been the best player in this NBA finals. What about this was getting some steam heading into the series. Al Horford as a Hall of Famer, depending on how this series goes. Buy, sell, or hold. I'm selling on this. Now, I know, look, it's the Basketball Hall of Fame, not the NBA Hall of Fame. And Al Horford, I talked about this at the start of the NBA Finals, about what he could gain, because there's only been so many guys that won a championship in college and the NBA. He won two in college. Now he's trying to finally get one in the NBA. First time he's playing in the Finals. And he went out in Game 1, and he played great. He was the star of the night, scored 26, hit six threes. But... He hasn't been all that great since then. And the Celtics look like they're on their way to losing this series. By the way, Al Horford scored more points, uh, uh, almost, almost more points in game one than the rest of the series so far. I'm looking at the numbers now. Uh, he finally passed that total last night. Um, so Horford hasn't been able to duplicate game one. I think he needs an NBA title. He's not a Hall of Fame player, not in the NBA. But maybe he could get in on the fact that it's the Basketball Hall of Fame and he would have a championship in college and the NBA. But I think he needs that championship in the NBA. I don't think he's going to get it this year. So I know it got a lot of talk at the start of this series. Maybe we were looking for things to talk about, but people were saying, hey, Al Horford could turn himself into a Hall of Famer. Yeah, well, now that we've played five games this series, I'm going to say no on that. Horford hasn't been good enough, and the Celtics won't win the series anyways. What about Draymond Green? Draymond Green uh, being um, over the hill, washed up. Buy, sell, or hold. I would hold on this. Now, I expected Draymond to be better last night, and he was. I think he got caught up in some things in his whole own headspace. Plus, he's on the road in Boston. It's a little bit different when you're back home at Golden State because Draymond played fine first two games, was bad in Boston, better last night. Right? It was just about being at home. But the thing with Draymond is, and he has already like set the record for most fouls in the NBA Finals in the last 23 years. He's fouled out three of these five games. That's just kind of what he's become. I think even a lesser version than Dennis Rodman. Uh, he can't score it very much anymore. Like, his numbers are worse in the playoffs in the regular season. So let's not be prisoners of the moment. He wasn't quite this uh, inefficient in the regular season. But this is just kind of what Draymond's been. I mean, he had eight points last night. That's a really good night for him. He made half his shots, right? Eight rebounds, eight points, six assists. That's a really good game. Filed out, right? But played good defense, was a plus 11. Uh, you know, played 35 minutes. He played well last night. That's what should be expected from a Draymond Green at this point. He's not going to light up the scoreboard. He hasn't scored over 20 points in two years. Forget that game. He had one game like in the finals where he went for 35 or something. That's, he doesn't have that capability anymore. He's not going to score. He's just going to go out there, beat up some guys, do the dirty things, make some nice passes. He had a beautiful pass in the fourth quarter for a big layup last night when they needed a bucket. He'll make some plays for you here and there. He'll be a real thorn in the side of the opponent. But I'm going to hold. Right? He's not the same player he once was. I still think he brings value to this team. But I also think Draymond, a little too inconsistent. Wasn't good on the road. He was good at the home, uh, good at home this series for Golden State. I want to see how he does game six of this series. And then, obviously, moving forward. Like, what are we going to get from Draymond next year, the next couple of years? How much does he have left in the tank? And lastly, you probably already know the answer, but Jason Tatum being a big disappointment in these uh, NBA Finals. Are we buying, selling, or holding on that? Buy, sell, or hold. Yeah, of course, I'm buying. He has been a disappointment. And I see more people starting to come around. They're starting to, to join me uh, at the other party that maybe he isn't a superstar. Right? Maybe he isn't a top five player like many people were saying just a week or two ago. 
I think this has been a bad NBA Finals. People believe maybe he has some sort of injury. Uh, I just think he's he's not a superstar. I think he has potential. I think he has ability. I think he's a really good NBA player. But here we are in the NBA Finals. The Celtics needing somebody to step up. You'd think it'd be their star, Jason Tatum, and he has not been good enough, especially in the fourth quarter and in the biggest moments when they need him most. He's a really good player. He'll have a really good career. He'll probably win some championships. Maybe he'll turn into that superstar eventually, but he's not there right now, and this has been a disappointing playoff. Uh, uh, disappointing finals. I think it's also been a pretty disappointing playoff. He's been too inconsistent. Even when you watch the games, he puts up some big numbers by the end of the game. Uh, if you were looking at just the box scores, it would seem pretty impressive. But when you watch the games, there's a lot of times in these games he just disappears for a whole quarter, or he scores his points only in the first half, disappears in the second half. He has been disappointing in this NBA Finals, and that's probably the biggest reason why the Celtics won't win the series. They are young, they're inexperienced, and their star hasn't played like maybe the star you would need to win an NBA Finals, especially when you're going up against a dynasty and a team like these Golden State Warriors. There you go, some topics about the NBA Finals, buy, sell, or hold. This was uh, alluded to a little bit, or at least I thought about it when uh, Trent said something last hour in Trent's takes, but the Warriors have become, usually when a team wins so much, we just hate them. We hate anybody that's successful when it's not us. I think the Warriors have become likable, maybe again. The only one I could see why you don't like is Draymond Green, and even I get annoyed by his antics. But otherwise, the rest of the Warriors team, like I find myself rooting for the Warriors in this series, and I didn't necessarily think that going in. I've never really been a Warriors guy per se, but I've been rooting for them this series. Now, maybe because I picked them to win and I just want to be right, but I've, I've found myself on the side of the Warriors, and I don't have like a feeling like uh, I don't really want these guys to win, but I did be, bet on them. No, I, I'm, I've been pulling for Golden State. And I think, like, uh, you know, like Tom Brady's become a lot more likable now that he went to Tampa. Um, even for me personally, I, I may be in the minority. I've come around. On, I like Nick Saban. I used to not like him in Alabama. But these Warriors have become uh, very likable. Maybe it's because of you're seeing these guys now, almost like a Tiger Woods situation, where I think Tiger's become a lot more likable because he's gone through some hardships. The Warriors, it's not quite the same, but you have Klay Thompson coming off injuries. Draymond's a little bit older. Steph Curry doing more on his own. And uh, they don't have a Kevin Durant, so they're not quite as dominant as they once were. But this Golden State team seems to be more likable now than maybe when they were winning championships a few years ago. It's like a, It feels like a California cool type team. It's just, it's just a team you want to root for. And I know Klay had some comments about the Celtics crowd that I didn't really oh, like yeah. because I am a massive Klay Thompson fan. He's one of my favorite players of all time. I absolutely love watching it. But for me, it's kind of nostalgia. It's watching these guys kind of, we've seen them evolve, and they're still winning even after 10 years. They continue to be dominant. It's just a really cool thing, man. And to see Steph so fiery on the sidelines and during the game, I mean, game four when he's barking at the Celtics crowd, it's very rare that Steph Curry in the past would be actually screaming at the crowd. He's talked to the crowd before in Cleveland, like he's shared some exchanges, but he was directly going at Celtics fans screaming in their face. And I, I was like, I haven't seen that side of Steph in a long time. I, f I feel like it's pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, stepping away for a couple of years uh, also helps out too. It's not like they just won the last four. We got a little bit of a break. They recreated, reinvented themselves a little bit. And here they are now in the finals. And I find them to be the more likable team. Maybe just because, uh, you know, my wallet's on that side. I don't know. But I've been pulling for uh, the Warriors this series. And I think they close things out, if not Thursday, certainly. If we get a Game 7 on Father's Day, the Warriors will win this Finals. When we come back, we do a top 10 list every Tuesday. I'll give you the 10 most important players or coaches 
10 most important people in college football this year in terms of deciding our playoff and national champion. And we'll do that next. The more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Just search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcasts. Hey, every Tuesday on the show, we do some sort of top ten list. So I was thinking of the ten people, players, coaches, programs, whatever, the ten parts of the college football season this year that will have the largest impact on what sort of playoff and therefore national champion we wind up with. Here's my top ten. Time for the Tuesday Top Ten, where we rank anything from quarterbacks to cheeseburgers right here on the Morrow Midday Show. Interested? Let's count them down, I guess, ten to one. That's probably the best order to go in. I'll give you the, the first two right away. Number ten is Nick Saban. Number nine is Kirby Smart, the two coaches from last year's national championship. They'll obviously have a huge impact this year because Alabama is the favorite. Georgia is in the top three of favorites to go win the national championship. So these are two teams, Alabama and Georgia, that we expect to be in the running for the national championship this year. The reason why I put them so low on the list is because they're a little bit more of a proven commodity. So I just assume Alabama is going to be there anyways. We expect Alabama to be there. We anticipate Georgia could be back there. So, will they have a huge impact? Yeah, like technically, yes, on deciding the national champion because these two teams may be back in the national championship. But it's also expected. It's a surprise. Or I should say it's not a surprise. So, that's why I put them at the back end. I think the other guys on this list will have a larger impact because there'll be a bigger surprise or a bigger curveball maybe than what we're expecting. Saban and Kirby, yeah, we expect their teams to roll and be in the playoff anyways. So, they should be in the top ten, but I put them in the back of the top ten if uh, you understand my thought process. For Saban, uh, you know, it is what it is at Alabama. For Kirby, he lost a lot of those guys from that historic defense, the defending champs. Can you still be uh, starving after having a full meal? We'll see. We'll find out what Georgia is able to do this year as the defending champs. Then we get into the more interesting names, I would say. Number eight is Dana Holgerson, head coach at Houston. Cincinnati was the first group of five to make the playoff last year. Could that be the start of something? Could Houston be the next? Some people in the in the college football community are telling you, Houston is this year's Houston is this year's Cincinnati. They're this year's version of last year's Cincinnati. Cincinnati lost their quarterback. They lost some of their pieces. But Houston could be the team that if we get a group of five this year in the playoff once again, it may not be Cincinnati. It could be Houston. I told you earlier, Brad Crawford, friend of the show, has the prediction that Houston will be undefeated heading into November. And if they go undefeated this year, I'd have to go look at their schedule. But I don't know. Maybe we talk about them as a potential playoff team. And Cincinnati has already opened that door, and they've opened that opportunity for now these other potential group of fives to try to get there as well. So the head coach of Houston is eight. Number seven, I go Tyler Van Dyke, quarterback of Miami. If it's not Clemson to win the ACC, maybe it's Miami. 
Maybe Miami could be that playoff team out of the ACC that isn't Clemson. And if they are, it's going to come down to this quarterback. He's getting a lot of hype. People believe he could be in the Heisman running this year. You know what you're going to get with Mario Cristobal. He's already proven himself at Oregon. He's a good coach. I think he's going to do well at Miami. But his first year success will probably be dependent on how dynamic this second-year quarterback is. And last year, he came in midseason. This will be the first time that Van Dyke starts the entire season. So he's still somewhat of a question mark. Van Dyke's number seven. If Miami goes off and wins the ACC, maybe they'll be a playoff team. And they'll need good quarterback play to do so. Number six, I'll say Jimbo Fisher. Because if it's not Saban and or Kirby Smart coming out of the SEC, you would assume it's probably going to be Kirby. Uh, pardon me, Jimbo. It's probably going to be Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. Could he disrupt the SEC this year and finally get A&M to the playoff? We know about the recruiting classes. We know they beat Alabama last year. They came close to the playoff two years ago. We know about the, the war of words this offseason between Saban and Jimbo. Can he now get it done on the field this year, potentially be a playoff team, and disrupt what we got out of the SEC last year, either keep Alabama and or Georgia from getting to the playoff this year? Number five in terms of the people that could have the largest impact on our national champion this year. Number five is Kyle Whittingham, head coach at Utah. I'm big on Utah. Some people think they could be a playoff team this year. The concern for Utah is since they joined the Pac-12, they have lost at least three games every year. Even last year, they had a great year. They lost three games. So in order to make the playoff, right, out of the Pac-12, you probably can only afford, what, one loss? So they're going to have to have the best season they've had in 15 years. Can they do it? Maybe. they got a really good team. But it's just something we haven't seen from Utah in a while. But I think Utah's going to be really tough this year. Maybe they win the Pac-12 and get to the playoff. So I'll put Kyle Whittingham at number five. Number four is Quinn Ewers. A lot of people are really high on Texas. Could Texas finally be back this year? They had a losing record last year. In year two of Sarkeesian, could he get them to potentially the playoff? Could they win the Big 12? And if they win the Big 12, will they have a good enough resume to be a conference champion in the playoff? If Texas wants to accomplish anything this year, it's going to come down to Quinn Ewers. They probably have the best running back in the country. Steve Sarkeesian yeah, at least is a good offensive mind. We'll see about head coach. But Ewers was the top quarterback. Now he's going to get a chance at Texas. How is he going to do this year? There's a lot of pressure on him, high expectations. Can he get Texas to the playoff? Number three is Dabo Sweeney and Clemson. I mean, maybe it would be more appropriate to say DJ because Clemson, I think, is going to have to have good quarterback play to make the playoff. They're the favorite in the ACC. But there's a big gap between Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and their odds to actually win the national championship, and then Clemson. They're right now kind of in that second tier. So can Clemson, A, get to the playoff, and then B, challenge for a national title once again? I put Originally I put Davo, but now I think I'm changing my mind and just saying DJ because you're going to need good quarterback play from Clemson if you want to get there. But I'll put Clemson as a whole number three. The only ones I put ahead of Clemson, Davo, DJ, whoever, Caleb Williams, I say number two at USC. USC is the favorite in the Pac-12. People think they could be a playoff team this year in year one of Lincoln Riley. Obviously, there's a lot of reason to be excited about them, but it's going to come down to the quarterback play. If Caleb Williams plays like a Heisman contender that everyone believes he is, yeah, USC probably be really tough to beat this year. Uh, maybe they could make it to the playoff for the first time. Maybe they could challenge right away year one in the playoff, but it's going to come down to the quarterback. We know what Lincoln Riley is. We've seen him get to the playoff before, win conference championships, can Caleb Williams be the guy to carry USC there in the Pac-12? And then number one, I'm going to go Jim Knowles, the uh, defensive coordinator at Ohio State. Because C.J. Stroud, many believe, will be the Heisman winner. 
Ryan Day, we know, is a great offensive coach. Can the defense be good enough? Ohio State had the number one offense in the country last year, still didn't win the conference or make the playoff. They're going to have a great offense again this year. But are they going to get enough out of the defense in order to win the Big Ten, go to the playoff, and try to win a national championship? A lot of people are really high on Ohio State this year, but they're going to need at least a little something out of the defense. Maybe not a ton because their offense is going to be so good, but you got to get a little something from that defense. Can they do it this year? If so, yeah, they may be national champs a few months from now. The 10 coaches, teams, players, names that could have the largest impact on the playoff we get this year and therefore the national champion in college football as well. Your Tuesday top 10. We'll wrap up your Tuesday when we come back. More Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. She'll break your heart like it was a toy. You better save it for a rainy day. You better save it for a rainy day. Well, I'd leave in a minute if I... Wrapping up your Tuesday in the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Just search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcasts. Plus, you can take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com or through TuneIn Radio, your smart speaker, or our free app. Search ESPN Charleston in the App Store and download the free app today, ESPN Charleston. Search that in the App Store, and you can listen to the show live or on demand from anywhere in the world. The podcasts are available through the app. Appreciate listeners checking in from at least nine different states and multiple countries. We'll talk uh, plenty of golf tomorrow and the Live Golf Tour with Jeremy on the show tomorrow. And I got all sorts of football things we'll pepper in throughout the week as we continue to creep towards the upcoming football season. We'll, of course, continue to get ready for uh, Game 6 of the NBA Finals coming up Thursday night. I think Bobby right now is mixing his uh, his healthy Coke. He's mixing in the balsamic vin with the... Uh, LaCroix, and he's getting ready to go. I, I believe so. Maybe some crown to you know, take the edge <laughs> off before the show. Absolutely. That should have been the real test. right? <laughs> we can't determine if this is a good substitution unless it mixes well with the crown. If that's the case, then okay, maybe you can replace the Coca-Cola. Until then, no chance. We had our taste test earlier of a healthy version of Coca-Cola that may be healthier for you but is also very disgusting. And you can find that on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast, to find the show in full if you ever miss anything from the show. In the meantime, life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. For now, we say goodbye. We'll say hello again tomorrow at noon. It's the more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio.